creators of Relevant Magazine. This is The Relevant Podcast. It's a week on Friday, September 23rd, 2016, and it's the Relevant Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Strang, and this week's show is brought to you by Israel, the land of creation. If you've been thinking about your next travel adventure, the Israel Ministry of Tourism is inviting you to come experience Israel for yourself. Israel loves the podcast. They do? Uh, There's so much to see and do. Uh, Joy, what would be the number one thing, based on the trip you just took, that you would tell somebody thinking about going to the Holy Land what they should experience? Obviously, all the Bible, you know, stops, I guess you could say, are so incredible. The Sea of Galilee is amazing. Um, But I did, I watched this, like, video that kind of surveyed um, the land of Israel. And people don't realize, I mean, I feel like it has every type of terrain. It has desert. It has you know, seaside, but it also has like snow-capped mountains. So there, and there's like wine country and it really is an incredible, it's a very small piece of land with a lot of terrain. You seem to be pretty into food on that trip and your husband looking at maps. That's what I remember most about looking at your (laughs) pictures. Man loves some maps. And so with all the, like, with all the different, you know, like people who have been control in control of different parts of the land, there's all these different maps. I, I think this is one of my favorite sponsors because of, like, there are some where it's like, oh, here's a new watch company no one's yeah. ever heard of. I'm like, movement. No Israel's pretty, pretty good. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We, we got it. You're going to go to Israel. Here's how. You can go to www.landofthebible.com, but it's land hyphen of hyphen the hyphen bible.com. How else would you possibly do it? And discover the side of Israel you've never seen. Israel, the land where anything is possible. Double flipping omelets. Like I said, I'm your host, Cameron. And here with me in our Orlando studio, Eddie Big Cat Koffelt. Shalom. (laughs) Over there on the ones and twos, our producer, my brother, Chandler Strang. Hello. On the Skype line from Loverland, Virginia, Jesse Carey. Hello, hello. And all the way from Portland, Oregon, Joy Egrich-Reed. Present. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm I'm happy we're back to recording on our normal day. Yeah. Last yeah. week's episode, it fell a little off because we had recorded on a Monday. Yeah. Oh, travel that's right. Thing, it was remember? a million years ago. And and I felt like I to be honest, I felt like Eddie's head was in a different place. I yeah. felt like he was still. I he was he was present in the studio, but his heart was still in Maine. It's. I think he's resettled. <laughs> <back> <laughs> yeah. Too. I'm still. It's still really hard. I was playing racquetball this morning with DJ JD. And hey, can, can can we play racquetball sometime? Yeah. I mean, I, I go Are to you the, a YMCA member? No. I have a couple LA guest Fitness. passes. It's hard to... I mean, I might use we got one court, on I could. I could give you a guest pass to I, my spot. I really want to play in your dad's court. Oh, oh, I oh his own private court? That's what I... Wait, you have your own key? I have a key to that. Yeah, my, yeah, my, dad, yeah. my dad, for those who don't know, my dad uh, was a racquetball enthusiast over the course of his lifetime, and he's still with us. Um, and he built, they Did built. Did anybody think he was dead? Well, because I was saying over the course of his lifetime, he was. Yeah, I was talking about oh. oh. But my dad's older now, so I don't know if he still is. He so I didn't want to. still plays, just okay, not as inten- intensely as he well, used to. So, so just to be clear. I, have, I think if he's playing, it's, it's the still same intensity. level of intensity. That's true. It's just mm. the frequency is less. Anyway, when yeah. they built their office uh, in the 90s, yeah. they built a warehouse building and he carved out a little corner and, and uh, they constructed their own racquetball yeah. court. That is the it's holy the grail of racquetball. It's the of the office complex. <laughs> yeah. So uh, <laughs> you're saying you have your own key to it? Key. Yeah. 
You have oh. a key to the racquetball court? The, the, the rule is you can get a key. Anyone can get a key to this racquetball court. There's only one thing you have to do to earn that key. You got to beat him. And that's beat the man himself. Yeah. <laughs> and he plays in a suit once. while he is looking over final edits of the magazine and he doesn't break a sweat. Wait, wait, no. wait. You beat him? I beat him one time and he remembered it. Oh, of course. And, he and, and, and later, the next day, he, the that, next was day. that was my story. I yeah. beat him one time and haven't played and, him and since. Right. Chandler, well, well, real quick, Chandler, when yeah. you when you beat him, yeah. did after he pull out of his back pocket uh, like a necklace, and on the end of that necklace took, was the knee. key that yeah. you still possess. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a single golden and you key. You took a knee and I he put knee, it yeah. over yeah. the it necklace. Yeah. And he said, and he said, "Son, this is the proudest I've ever been of you." And never speak to me again. <laughs> and that was it. That's the end of the relationship. But now he can play racquetball whenever he wants. I feel like we've talked about racquetball in an inordinate amount on this show. But I would like to say that Jeremiah is incredible. But really? the guys on the court next to us who were in their 60s and 70s would have destroyed us. Like, I wouldn't have ever been able to return a single shot. Like, how is it that you get so much better as an old guy? Well, because I mean, accuracy. like, I'm in my physical that's prime. How, that's clearly. how he is. That, that's how he was. He would, you know, he could hit it so the old guys, the, the old guys and the fat guys just camp out in the middle and right. then they just like have precision. Like, right. da, 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 and then you're running around like a fool. I'm just bouncing yeah. around like a ping pong. He'll stand right in the center of the court, get hit several times in the, in the game. But it's a, it's a, it's a cost reward situation. He's right. going to go, I will dominate the location. I will not give up real estate. Correct. I will get hit a few times, but it's worth it. Yeah. And I will give you the golden key and then never speak to you again. Right. Right. Don't come home for Christmas. Are there other, are there other sports like that? I feel like, yeah, racquetball, it seems like old men dominate. I feel like golf, golf, uh, golf, biking as you get older is kind of like golf. People get really strong. Biking. I've never say biking. Well, yeah, yeah, like like road biking. That's like an old person sport. They're like still really good at it. I think you're thinking of mall walking. Yeah, <laughs> but 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 to your point about biking, I've seen a lot of like over uh, weight guys biking, and I'm like, I don't think this is a sport I'm going to invest in. It I was I was uh, is that an awful thing? I, was, I think that's awful. I was going out to the Orlando City soccer game the other day, and yeah. I was and I parked downtown, yeah. so the stadium's about a mile away, and there's yeah. a bunch of pedicabs, and I'm like, hey, you yeah. know what? I, I hate these things, but I'm gonna I, I don't want to walk a mile, so yeah. I yeah. jumped I in. I don't like a man being a horse, and so uh, <laughs> so. <laughs> So uh, we had a, a guy who was not quite in prime physical condition. Yeah. And about half halfway there, he's he, it was kind of a Je- Jesse's situation in Austin. I mean, this yeah. guy is drenched with sweat. He's, yeah. he's you get every just... every every pedal was an audible situation. You know, <laughs> right. it's like the gears aren't shifting like they used to. And he's going to stop it. I was with a buddy named Big Mike, so <laughs> that could have had something to do with it. Yeah. Big but, Mike well, is comes my right situation name. in Austin was awkward because I, I grossly uh, underestimated the distance. And like I could see like when he had a panic look on his face when I told him the distance when I was already on board that you know it, you, it probably wasn't a standard thing and then when i asked him to pull over at that cheeseburger place like i said i would have offered him one but clearly he had his hands full I, he was in he was barely making it as it was i did not want to throw a cheeseburger in this you know yeah. into the into the situation yeah, it's not fuel at that point it's going to weigh him down yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> well i appreciate uh last week you guys moving your schedules to record on monday because on tuesday i, I flew out to la for the hillsong movie premiere and that's mm-hmm. why we had to move it have you gone to the premiere twice now no, the New York thing was uh, like a media thing. This was actually like the film opened last week. And so they had the whole LA premiere thing at the, you know, Hollywood theaters. And you know, it was really yeah. cool. Okay. So, but it, let me ask you this. I realize this is beside the point. Like I was on an airplane and saw, what was it? Oh, uh, like uh, the American president. Remember that movie? 
the, with yeah. Michael Douglas? Not what really. So this was an airplane trip back in uh, <laughs> no, 1997. No. That's what I'm saying. It was like all those like old movies that were like just you know. Why it's did like, you choose? He was that on one, Frontier Airlines. Right. They can't afford yeah. the news. So stuff. I thought, you know hey, what? I love quick, Eddie. When you when you said, hey, it's on one of those airlines that's just showing a bunch of old movies. You know, right. everyone everyone collectively goes, no, we have no idea. That's very strange. It was an international flight, and they had like 200 movies, and I was like, ah, I've seen all the new stuff. So I watched it, but I had. I was like, I I remember all of this and I had seen it when it came out. So it'd been like 25 years. Yeah. Weren't you a little overseeing Hillsong on the West Coast? Three weeks apart. Yeah. Even though it was like worshipful and hatful and everything like that. I'll tell you this. I mean, I went... I went to support my friends. I mean, if we had a premiere of something and my friends came, it mean a lot to me, you know? So mm-hmm. yeah. that was why I went. Um, yeah. I kind of was thinking the same thing you were thinking. Like, oh, man, I just saw this like three weeks ago. I don't watch a movie, any movie, three weeks apart, you know? But here's the deal. It held up, and it was actually a little bit better the second time. Mm-hmm. It was really good. Like, I walked out of there. Like, I really actually enjoyed watching it in that environment. It was great. I've always thought that if I go to a movie premiere, though, you always sneak out during the movie premiere, and then, like, the yeah, stars of the movie are, like... To get snacks? Yeah, like, snacks and, like, vaping in the lobby. Like, isn't that kind of what... <laughs> no, it was packed. I mean, they, nobody lobby. left. Everybody watches it, huh? Everybody watched. They handed you wow. bags of popcorn when you walked in, and a soda when you walked in, and then... Free? Then, Free? Yeah. Joy. <laughs> I mean, there's a red carpet and TV and all this stuff. Yeah. The, 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 like the fact that like the members of Hillsong are all there and every you know people are wearing like tuxedos does not get Joy excited. But the fact that they gave you a free bag of popcorn <laughs> that's. I flew out to LA. Joy, I could have gotten two bags if I wanted. Oh. Do they? Do they like? Is it? One do to you? Go. Is the posture to worship during the movie, or is it more like a? Is it set up where it's like you watch this and experience it, but it's not intended it's what do you think uh, the director intended it's what i'm it's getting a, at. well the director's not a believer it's the right. director is the guy who did the jay-z fade to black documentary Nicki minaj a bunch of other projects but he's a phenomenal yeah. two music, of my favorite christian movies by the music way. <laughs> uh, documentarian Worshipful, if you will um mm-hmm. you, you've seen probably the justin timberlake concert films and Obviously. stuff like that you know yeah. um, i'm a believer yeah so it's kind of like that but then there's a lot more documentary behind the scenes stuff too like the heart of the church the guy's stories you know um, kind of actually there was like a culminating event in the story and so it's kind of like following the behind the scenes and it's mm-hmm. like real actual dramas just a documentary yeah but it's interspersed with you know music experiences and songs and stuff and it's just it's shot amazingly well no yeah. are people standing and clapping along and no um, but they call it a theatrical worship experience right. Honestly, I didn't. I hadn't seen anything like it. It's not a Justin Timberlake like concert film, and it's not a documentary. It's kind of both. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it was and it's really well done. And I think the reason why it works, it was done by an outsider. It wasn't mm-hmm. a puff piece. It was done by a guy who's not a believer who didn't know who they were, and he is telling their story. And it's really interesting. And they didn't have final cut. They had nothing to do with this movie. I wonder what it was like. They got approached and they didn't want to do the film. They told us that on the podcast a few weeks ago when, when we uh, interviewed them. I mean, they, they had nothing to do with it. They got approached. They were, you know, like you would be a little nervous, but they felt like we should take a risk and do this and Mm -hmm. um, trust these guys. And this is what happened. And it was really cool. Anytime like a journalist or like a documentarian yeah. is genuinely curious about the subject that they're covering, that always translates well. That's why it's like, I think the, why the movie's been received so well is because it is an outsider who 
you know, because as a foreign world was really curious about how it operates and what the appeal is. The crazy thing is it's a, you know, blatantly Christian movie and it got it. It's fresh on Rotten Tomatoes and it got an A on CinemaScore, which is crazy. Oh, that's cool. I, I mean, yeah. when was the last time a Christian movie got critically reviewed well? You know, yeah, but again, I think it's because it's a legit music documentary. Anyway, it was fun. I was out there, and then on Wednesday, I had a day to kill because I want to stay for Wednesday night church, uh, Judas Smith's church. You know, so I had a day to kill on Wednesday. And uh, after I had gone to the Mars thing, one of our podcast listeners hit me up and said, "Hey, I work at SpaceX. If you're ever in LA, I'd love to give you a tour of SpaceX." No way! What and is so, that? It's Elon Musk's rocket company, like the guy who did Tesla and PayPal and stuff. Oh. Like it's his rocket company. And it's um, so they're right there by LAX. And yeah. so like there's no tours. I mean, this is not a tourist they're destination. LAX, huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so I go there. I'd go through all the security and stuff and she meets me and is showing me around and right there you walk in and you're kind of like at Google with the crazy awesome, um, you know, like cafeteria and stuff, but they're building rockets 15 feet away. It's like one massive room and there's mission control right there and there's no and there's robots like, you know, like smoothing out the carbon fiber shells and there's things flying over your head. I'm not kidding. It was, they shot Iron Man in it in, in wow. their facility because wow. it's so like space age and like, it was crazy. And so she uh, ended up giving me a, a SpaceX model that cool. I'm doing with Cohen Neat. and then a couple of t-shirts and stuff. It's really cool. Did they let you push any buttons? Yeah. yeah. Did you see a joystick around and just be like, <laughs> I'm just going to yank this back. Well, the crazy thing is, no, but the crazy thing is like just, I, my, in my head, you know, when you're assembling rockets, it's kind of like the vehicle assembly building out at NASA. Guys right. in like, like whites, you know, uh, coveralls or whatever, you know, those. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. They look like, it looks like you know, Jesse and Walt. Yeah. Hazmat suits. Yeah. It's a clean yeah. room. It's like four scientists. <laughs> right. You can't go in <laughs> yeah. there. No, these guys, I mean, there's like maybe a little like velvet rope, like, hey, don't go over here. But like, but maybe that's not right. Like maybe they should. Maybe that's not like because it's awesome. Maybe that's because they just haven't figured out like you gotta have a pretty clean rocket to make it to the moon. Like if they just like, haven't seen Apollo leans 13. over and spills like a drum of rocket fuel, and he's like, <laughs> it's just like there's rocket you know fuel pouring over the like to the moon button. Then <laughs> they're just like, right, unplug it, unplug it, unplug it. Wasn't it SpaceX that just had a rocket blow up? Uh huh. Okay. No, so they call it the uh, the aberration. That's what it's not the explosion. It wasn't the accident. Oh, it was the aberration, right? Oh, that, it was that a, makes it, it was a silly fire time. It's like no big deal, <laughs> but they're they're working on Elon has said that SpaceX will send humans to Mars by 2024. Do the math. That's, That's not crazy. that far from now. Yeah, no. And science Mike has said very clearly that he would leave his family to go to the Mars. Yeah, to the Mars. How old am I? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you play racquetball, sweetheart. Did you did you see that they went to the Mars yesterday? I'll be darned. My friend Science Michael was on it. Yeah, that's like that's like people who call it the email, <laughs> right? Right. Did you get, did you get it in the email or or yeah? I got to check the email about. My that. mom does that. It's the what's the what's the called like the definitive article or something? She does it with everything. The yeah. Costco, the Chili's. Everything is the like, when, when she wants to access the email, does she go to google.com and then oh, in the search field oh, type in hotmail? Oh, yeah, totally. Oh, absolutely. There it is. Yeah, here we are. That's how you get there. I just want to say a big thanks to podcast listener Jesse Claycamp. Were you for uh, showing me around SpaceX? It was awesome. And you know what? She sent uh, a little some SpaceX swag to Science Mike. 
Oh, oh that's wow. good. That's oh, how cool. thoughtful she is. <laughs> well, we have a great show in store for you today. Uh, coming up later, David Crowder joins us in the studio to play us some songs from his new album. It's called American Prodigal, and it comes out today. Uh, so look at that synergy. That's some timely. Yeah. Um, SpaceX wouldn't even make him wear like one of those like beard things. No. He, he could just roam freely <laughs> oh, throughout yeah. the rocket. David ship. Crowder hairs would be all up in the rocket stuff. <laughs> That's oh. a mess. I think we I think we've determined what the ab- what happened with the aberration. <laughs> yeah. It was just clogged with Crowder beard hair. <laughs> yeah. Just ignited. When when Crowder came through, I took a picture, you know, with him before he left and whatever yeah. and I posted it and uh, somebody on the internet put David Crowder's beard on my face, yeah. which which was very disturbing. <laughs> That guy. You want to remember that, when we, I, mean, I don't listen. I don't mean this as like disrespect. No, he has a great beard. It's a it's a it suits him well. He, it's Gandalfian. Gandalfian. It's getting wizard. It's getting wizard like. Yeah. Like it's gone from like hipster to. Well, remember to the wizard. goatee? It was a long goatee for a long time. That was his trademark, and then he rounded it out as he's gotten it older, and now it's like a long beard. I think it was a good call. Yeah, like like I said, it's getting more and more wizard like. He's getting more wizard like. He is. Uh, well, um, remember a couple years ago when we talked to him at the Justice Conference? I do. Um, he has a funny interpersonal way that I really like. Like he's very intense and intentional, mm-hmm. but he doesn't yeah. break eye contact. And he doesn't blink that much. He looks at the bridge of your nose. <laughs> <laughs> so you can just never. Yeah, we found out that uh, Sweet Chandler took allocution lessons and had to learn how to be a gentleman. And they told him in gentleman class that you're always supposed to look at the bridge of a person's nose, so right. as not to intimidate them with too direct of eye contact. That's what <laughs> yeah. we learned right before we hit record. See, yeah, I look. Today. I look like as if there's someone standing over the person's shoulder. No, no, it's it's so that you don't feel intimidated by them. Oh, yeah. it's for you. Wait, what? But well, this why you, would you feel intimidated? So like, let's say you're because talking eye to eye contact can be intimidating. Yeah. If you, you know, if you're like intimidated by a, some, meeting someone or something, I don't Just know. So like, so hypothetically, you're talking like to that. someone who's very tall and resembles a wizard at this point. Right. Yes. <laughs> and you do not want to be intimidated <laughs> so by them. You just stare right, at, the, right at their nose. The, the David Crowder situation. Yeah. He is at least 6'10", mm-hmm. maybe 7'2". Yeah. So I'm looking up at him. I can't even find the bridge of his nose. No. I mean, I was looking kind of at his armpit the whole time. Right in the eyes. Right in the eye. Never break eye eye contact. But the thing is, he's not going to break eye contact with you because he just cares so much about what you're saying that I remember there had to be a point where like, well, good seeing you. Like, and he had to go. Was there, so, was there a, a, a kind of a slow hug at the end? How did you wrap it up? I mean, if he's going from <laughs> intense. Did I hug him? Did you have a moment? I don't think I did. Did you? Well, you side hugged him in the picture. Yeah, we side hug. Yeah, that's We're nice. side huggers. We do, we do the hand clap to the bring it in. And then, you know. I can't ever do that. Yeah. Uh, it's a handshake or a hug. We got can two I, options. Can I say that one of the most awkward <laughs> side hugs that I've experienced in a while? Yeah. <laughs> yes, please. Well, I can. You can. And, and maybe, may, Cameron, maybe I'm blowing this out of proportion if, if, because he was not an awkward guy at all. Remember, you. A few weeks ago, Nate Bargatze was in the studio. Yes, he was. <laughs> and we, <laughs> after we had a great, we talked for like an hour and after we were like, okay, if we do this well, I guess, you know, let's stand here and you stand in the middle. Cameron and I will stand on either side. His arms are, are outstretched yeah. to, so to you, get us both in a side. You hug. sidled up. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't like we just handed an iPhone to Chandler and said, hey, can you get a picture or whatever? We asked JD, who's like a photographer, 
to come in <laughs> with like a real camera. Yeah. And he's like framing the shot and he's like, you know what, guys, this is all wrong. Hang on, I need. And he's like adjusting settings and stuff. And meanwhile, we're sitting there <laughs> hugging, you know, hugging for an extended time. And neighbor Gossi's hugging both of us. No lie. It went on for probably four minutes. Yeah. Like, that's a long time. like just think about just standing and you're all got the fake smile. And you don't like, know JD, each other. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, JD, we're not, this isn't like a portrait that we're framing above a <laughs> fireplace here. Yeah. Just, just but it might picture. be if it turns out right. Yeah. Should be. You might, I think the least favorite one is the people that do the kiss on the cheek. I, well, who does that? Well, what, I like yeah, that. A lot of people in California do it. Grandmothers? Yeah, a lot of people. No, like, like New Yorkers and Europeans. West Coasters do a lot of West kissing Coasters? on the but yeah. to you or are you just saying because you see it on Real Housewives no, of Orange no, County? No, no, I love you know I love that show, but no, I like to me like you see a hug and then there's like the little kiss on the cheek and I'm like God, I don't want to be kissed. I like don't. And real quick, have you ever got one of those, Eddie? Have you ever got one of those kisses on the cheek and been like, did was that? A wet kiss or a wet nose, and which, which is worse in my mind, which grosses me out more. Yeah, I just I don't like. Like it. something was wet in there, and it was either the nose or the mouth. Do I care which? Do I even want to think about it? Yeah, no. I love it. I think it's. I think it's really. Um, it just feels so much more like culturally warm. It feels like you no. immediately break some. You and I love surf. each other, and when I see you, I don't kiss me. You don't kiss me. <laughs> We just give each other a nice hug. Here's my thing. Cheek, cheek, forehead. I, everyone I meet. No, that's a nice one. Just a gentle, soft kiss. I grab kiss them by on. both and I just go <laughs> right on the forehead. And then I press my forehead against theirs and the I stare the for two okay. seconds. Yeah. Then, I, then I whisper <laughs> something that is only meant for that person right in their ear. And then I stare at them for 35 all, seconds. I've been waiting for you all along. I've spilled a tremendous amount of jet fuel around that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't push the moon button. <laughs> but, but I'll tell you, right in the middle of they're a production facility. They have this fantastic coffee shop, and uh, and so they have it's out in it's the open. open. It's right out in the open. Right, Absolutely, it right is right in the middle of the and, jet and, and it, like you go up to order a drink, and it's like, do you want? This is only for their employees, mind you. Mm-hmm. And it says Rocket Cappuccino, Blaster Espresso. Oh, you know, like yeah, it's all themed. It's a little yeah. on the nose. Uh-huh. I get it. Yeah. But and, and and my friend Jesse, she said, uh, by the way, when you order, don't order the rocket cappuccino. Just say cappuccino. Like she just give me a heads up. Like oh, we don't, so we don't actually. Cool. Yeah, yeah the, you know, like when out, Elon's around, we'll, we might. Throw yeah, it in right. There, but <laughs> when he's doing evaluations yeah. and walking the floor, yeah. That, that's like when when I the the drink that I like at when I go to Starbucks is like a, a, an iced chai with espresso in it. Oh yeah, I've seen. And you they, get that. they 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 always when we repeat it. Is that called they like go, a dirty Louie or something? They, yeah, they go oh. So a dirty chai. I'm not saying that. Yeah. I'm not saying dirty chai. I don't care how many times you confirm it no, that no, no. way. Look, I'm not do this. Dignifying do it. this. Just look at him and say, "I like a nice chai." Lean in, make direct eye contact, and go make it dirty. Yeah. And then just you a know, soft you know kiss asked, on the this forehead. Someone asked my wife the and other day. Like, don't said, look at the bridge of my nose. <laughs> they literally said they said they said this thing and they go, "How dirty do you want it?" <laughs> I swear that's true. I've said, Dana, please tell them back as dirty as you can make it. And then just. I can't do this. I got to get out of here. Poor Dana. Gosh, once again, the poor Dana files just do a whole show about what it's like to live her life. I'm like, Dana, do not say dirty. Do not. You're embarrassing this family. Don't you dare. Just describe the ingredients, okay? Describe the ingredients. Yeah, give them assembly instructions. Uh, Do not give them the name of what they're assembling. Yeah. Uh, Also coming up later, author and activist Matthew Sorens joins us uh, to discuss Skittles. I mean, the refugee crisis. Wasn't that ridiculous? Yeah. I mean, obviously. So David Crowder, Matthew Sorens, David Crowder. That's how it's going to go. But moving the show along, it's time for 
our weekly look back at what happened in culture and entertainment. It's time for In Case You Missed It. Hey, in case you missed it, Chris Pratt finally explained why he erected the giant cross in the cross desert gate. over Easter weekend. So he uh, recently visited the late show with Stephen Colbert, and he was asked about a series of Instagram pictures he posted this spring. You may remember over Easter weekend, Chris Pratt posted several pictures showing him and two friends erecting a giant cross somewhere in the desert without any explanation. Well, this week he went on the late show with Stephen Colbert and explained that on Saturday before Easter, he went to visit a few friends who own a ranch in Texas. They told him that they were planning on building a giant cross somewhere on the property and Pratt well, volunteered to help. Yeah, Here's yeah, a clip. It's an awesome place and they've got a lot, lots, of, lots of land out there and they had this big cross and it was, a, it was on a Saturday the day before Easter and they said you know we got this big cross we gotta we gotta hit it you know bring it up this great big hill at some point. I said let's do it let's do it right now and they said Wow, oh, we you know we didn't bring you down here to put you to work. I said no I want to do it and it's Saturday before Easter if you think about it that's what Jesus was doing 2,000 something years before on a Saturday before Easter was carrying a cross up a hill, you know, and so we got after it. It was awesome. It took us like two days. The thing was super heavy and uh, but it was just like so rewarding and awesome. We had just the, I don't know, it was awesome. Then well, we if, if you were helping people drag a cross up a hill, I think more people might go to church. Yeah? Yeah, if, yeah. You, if that was the service. If that if was the, the service? service was oh, helping you... Chris Pratt drag a cross up a hill, <laughs> would anyone attend? Would you come? So now we know uh, what the next uh, church growth strategy will be for Chris Pratt. Cool churches. Dragging it up a hill. Yeah, yeah just have Chris Pratt come do manual labor out there. <laughs> Jesus-related manual labor. Like, he, he could also, uh, like, shear some vines. That's true. Yeah, prune the vines. Uh, am yeah. I right? Yeah. Can, we, can we talk about... Am I right? Oh, yeah, I get it. Can we talk about uh, Stephen Colbert for a second? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I'm worried about him. Wait, worried about personally like, like or the show being successful or you the show? Oh yeah, yeah as yeah, a man, yeah. I think he's fine. But like, uh, what's the guy? So you're Gordon, worried about the show, James Gordon. James Gordon. Gordon. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's yeah very good, yeah. and that guy's everywhere. Yeah, how in the world are they going to possibly keep him at twelve thirty? They can't because they're going to give Colbert one more year. Right, because they've got to, James whatever has already got to be getting offers to do something. He's got to be yeah. to replace. I mean, Apple just signed him. Yeah, Stephen Colbert was a little bit of like a Letterman replacement, but Letterman was sort of like people watched him for nostalgia, but he's not really the new, like either of the Jimmys kind did of you, camp. Did and, you? And honestly, I feel like Stephen Colbert at this point is more of, maybe this is just my perception, but he's more like a Charlie Rose than a comedian. Like, give, I would watch a talk show where he's actually talking about substantive things, but I would, yeah. I'm not going to watch him for the laughs. Anymore. I would have liked him couched on like a, a 30 minute HBO show where he just gets to be Stephen on a couch and they call it couch couched with Stephen Colbert. <laughs> yeah, you know what? And, and it's an interview show where they sit side by side on one couch and it's like super Very uncomfortable. like a couple on the one side of a booth. No one yeah. knows where to look during the interview. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> you're not if you're sitting side by side, you're not looking at him. That's no. that's just strange. It's weird. Malcolm Gladwell's, uh, yeah. you know, phenomenal podcast. Uh, I was listening to it on, on my flight out to LA actually yeah. and there's yeah. one on satire and and they had uh, an expert on or you know a academian on mm -hmm. uh, to talk about specifically Stephen Colbert as the Colbert rapport you yeah. know the satire character and 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 just the nuance and the intentionality and how important that was it was just really a fascinating thing and then to see kind of Stephen Colbert the 
normal talk show host. He just lost something. Yeah. You know, because I like him as a person a lot. I think he is the coolest and I, I think he's a really good entertainer, but to have James Corden, but the, the, the thing I think the thing where I, I think it boils down to with Colbert and I hate to say this, but if I'm just being objective is outside of character, I don't think he's that funny. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, that sounds cold, but if there's a reason that I'm watching one of the other shows is I know I'm going to laugh more Yeah, because like when he's not in character, you know, he, he's he, a good he, he, interviewer. He's still smart and engaging. He's a good interviewer fun. and he's yeah. quick witted. He's a good interviewer. But mm-hmm. when he was his character, they're writing papers about him. Right. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. it, it was something to behold. I mean, to be offered the Letterman spot, you can't not do that. Yeah. I mean, course. that's yeah. just a really, but you know, who I think the best on TV is, is uh, Samantha B. Have you ever watched her show? Yeah, she's a little angry. I, I, I feel like I, I think mean, she's smart there's, there's teeth to her comedy, but yeah. Yeah. I do think she's angry, know. but man, I think but she's, I mean, she's got a lot of things to be angry about right now. Mm-hmm. My thing is, are you going to be the person who's yelling all the time? And then because you're yelling all the time, people tune you out because you're yelling all the time. Like you got like, like an album has the big hits, but then they have ballads mm-hmm. and, and, and the ba- the space of the ballads lets the hit stand out. Yeah. Dynamic. To it. And, and I think Samantha's, got this one note. I got a stick and granted yeah. the content's there right now because yeah. she's got a lot of things to be incredulous about yeah. political season, a ton of injustice in the world and it's hitting and it's hitting and it's smart. Is yeah. it sustainable or are people going to tune her out? If, if the weekly news doesn't have a huge thing to be angry about, yeah. are you going to still be angry about something that's not worth it? And now you dilute your character. Yeah. I mean, Bill well, Maher has done it successfully. There is room for like pretty snarky satire yeah, and true. she's yeah. she's just so well, smart well, well john oliver's doing john it too oliver, but yeah. the yeah he's great the but, the you know the the ironic thing is that the biggest name arguably in late night jimmy fallon is now receiving criticism for the exact opposite of that that he's got yeah. no teeth yeah that you know you know mm-hmm. when he has these political candidates on which he had both major candidates on in the last week he received criticism and maybe rightfully so for essentially avoiding any substantive talk whatsoever. Yeah. Um, you know, he was playful with him and I get you want to humanize candidates and he, you know, his show is ultimately entertainment, but there was literally like zero substance to that. And is there some responsibility, mm. even if you're a late night comedian to, to, to try to ask somewhat tough questions? Yeah. Cause that's what they were comparing it to, you know, when David Letterman had Trump on, and, you know, challenged him for making all of his stuff abroad, yeah. um, his clothing abroad. And so you wonder then, is it, will Colbert stay? Because there should be a place for that. There should be a place for the lighthearted fun. I, I love everybody. I laugh at everything Jimmy Fallon. And then a bit more of a serious late night thing. with Because I, I feel like Colbert would have done something more along the lines of what Letterman did. Yeah. I think it was interesting though, because like uh, John Stewart always kind of backed out and said like, no, 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 this is a comedy show, and like I understand he thinks that, but like it's really not. Like these satirists are setting the tone of the what the country is thinking. Yeah. So I do feel like there is a there's something in between news and pure comedy that that is that's what, a, that's what the Malcolm Gladwell podcast talks oh, about. I mean, yeah. he even like kind of takes SNL on uh, to task for. Uh, kind of especially like the Tina Fey Sarah Palin era where like she was an amazing satirist but but satire should be used with a with a a purpose and not just to get laughs like like there's a responsibility of satire Mm -hmm. to 
move the needle on the collective consciousness about an issue yeah. to use comedy. And so he was actually taking her to task while she was amazing in that character that she just kind of like spoofed but could have actually mm. kind of helped Palin yeah, that's right. in, uh, versus oh, what, he, he, what SNL would have wanted her to do. What, no matter what your opinion is about Sarah Palin, the political figure or her policies, if you're a satirist and you want to point out something absurd about them, even though it seems like the good nature thing to do to bring them in on the joke, which she did, you know, Sarah Palin appeared with Tina Fey when Tina Fey was in character. Once you bring someone in on the joke, it loses all its teeth. And that was a big criticism of, you know, everything from Jimmy Fallon doing the hair tussle with Donald Trump to putting on a surgical mask with Hillary Clinton. I get that he's wanting the tone of his show. Mm-hmm. It isn't, you know, hard hitting political commentary, but you lose your ability to make any any sort of pointed commentary at all if the person that you're making jokes about is laughing with you, you know, right as you're making. That's actually the cover. I haven't read it yet, but the cover of Time Magazine this week is about that. It's about all the late night hosts and it says, we joke, you decide. And just talking about their influence or lack of influence on the political process. Mm. In case you missed it, uh, this week, Andy Minio beefed with Esquire Magazine and Wiz Khalifa over a Stranger Things uh, themed remix. And then Esquire publicly apologized to Andy Minio and this his fans. This was some drama, you guys. Yeah, is, I mean, this is, I, this is Tupac I, Biggie level stuff. I barely understand any of this. <laughs> okay. So the drama started when Wiz Khalifa. Wizard, Wizard Khalifa. Yeah, correct. <laughs> Wizard Khalifaltz <laughs> uh, released a track that sampled, <laughs> that sampled the theme song to the Netflix series Stranger Things called, as you guessed it, Stranger Things. Here is a clip of Wizard Khalifaltz. Is this scary? Here it is. Stranger After the magazine Esquire wrote about the track, the, uh, here's what they said: uh, TV theme songs are always mined for hip hop samples. So with Stranger Things, the Netflix series that became the biggest hit of the summer, mm-hmm. it was just a question of who would get to it first. That person is Wiz Khalifa. The only problem, as hip hop artist Andy Minio noted on Twitter, Wiz wasn't first. Andy had recently released a Stranger Things inspired track called Upside Down. Here it is. Stranger Things have happened, and a white boy like me black. On the track, I'm going bad again. <laughs> Got a baddie and she going Randy Savage. All I know is that family matters. All I know when I came in rapping, if you jack somebody else flowing style, then you gonna get a black guy like... So then... This is drama. So then Andy <laughs> tweeted to Esquire, Oh, really? He got there first? That's really strange, all caps. Everybody go <laughs> troll at Esquire and let them know who did it first. So he called his minions to go troll Esquire. So was so Wizard he upset? Of, he has like 250,000 followers. Yeah. So then after the backlash from Minio fans, Esquire actually updated their story, adding uh, this. Andy Minio had technically already released a track that sampled the Stranger Things theme, though I had never heard it until today. It turns out his is actually far better Way than better. Wiz's song. Yeah. So, and then, and then Esquire tweeted like an apology to Andy Minio and his fans with this updated uh, article link. So there you go. Did Wizard Khalifa wow. get in it at all or was he quiet? <laughs> I mean, what's he going to say? What's uh, he going to say? Because uh, one, they were wrong he say. didn't do it first. Two, they straight up said, your song isn't as good as this other guy's. Well, that's <laughs> unkind. 
Yeah. Uh, it's unkind, but it the truth hurts. It is did, true. Did you do yeah. any Stranger Things before either of them that we could help you out on, Chan? I thought about it, but no. Yeah, not enough time. I was going to do a Stranger Things version of the Pokemon Go th- theme song at one oh, point. Oh, yeah. What is the Pokemon Go well, theme song? How's it go again? I haven't listened to it in a while. Uh, I, that's it? Yeah. Well, it's, that's the, the cartoon theme song. I wanna be the Pokemon Go theme song is a little different. No one ever was. <laughs> This is, this is this is legit real talk. This is a good song. Yeah. I, I think it's pretty good. Hey, that's Pokemon Go. Yeah. Yeah, for, for internet points, I thought it might be a good idea to try and do like a Stranger Things version. Okay synth 80s feel but it kind of already has that so i decided to not do it that's true, um, that's true. Uh. back to stranger things for a second i will say marketing is always like i love watching movies or shows and being like oh product placement product placement product placement but egos in stranger things i feel like was just solely because it was such a thing of our time and so i was at costco after watching stranger things and there's a huge box of egos and i i was like walking over to the the freezer case and i almost got them and i was like no it's it's you don't need 200 egos from costco and thankfully that's where I you're didn't. wrong <laughs> <laughs> but thankfully i didn't because did you guys hear that there's now like a recall because there was like a list or what, however you call it. Yeah, um, eggs are all poisonous now. So I guess so many people were buying them, and then they got sick. Can I ask? We were talking about Pokemon theme songs and Stranger Things. How did we get to Ego recalls? Because it's in that's like Stranger a main thing, thing in Stranger, in Stranger oh, Things. Right, right. So like yeah, yeah, it it's kind of helpful yeah. during our show, though, not to ever ask that question because <laughs> we really have an <laughs> no, impressive ability I, to get I from. Tra- just I track along. You know, I do, but we have a good. Like I realized the Stephen Colbert thing. Yeah. it was like Chris Pratt with a cross. Yeah, we were like, I don't have time for that. I need to talk about late night. This, <laughs> this is how I want to derail that. All right. Uh, in case you missed it this week, Jay-Z made a short film for the New York times that makes a strong case against the war against the war on drugs and for justice reform. He teamed up with artist Molly Crabapple. That's a good name uh, to explain how unfair drug laws have led to mass incarceration, giving America the world's largest pr- prison population and how drug laws have disproportionately targeted people of color here is uh, a clip from the documentary. In the 1990s, incarceration rates in the U.S. blew up. Today, we imprison more people than any other country in the world. China, Russia, Iran, Cuba. All countries we consider autocratic and repressive. Yeah, more than them. Judges' hands were tied by tough-on-crime laws, and they were forced to hand out mandatory life sentences for simple possession and low-level drug sales. My home state of New York started this with Rockefeller laws. Then the feds made distinctions between people who sold powder cocaine and crack cocaine even though they were the same drug. Only difference is how you take it. And even though white people used and sold crack more than black people, somehow it was black people who went to prison. The media ignored actual data to this day. Crack is still talked about as a black problem. The NYPD raided our Brooklyn neighborhoods while Manhattan bankers openly used coke with impunity. The war on drugs exploded the U.S. prison population, Mm. disproportionately locking away black and Latinos. Our prison population grew more than 900 percent. When the war on drugs began in 1971, our prison population was 200,000. Today it is over 2 million. 
you imagine how that would sound if there was a fat beat underneath that? that, that that's be, literally what uh, I was going to say. Did, like, he yeah. talks I, in such yeah, good I time. I, I think everything he's saying is so incredible, but he, he keeps his same uh, hip-hop cadence, so it, it was a bit distracting because I kept being like, when's it going to drop? When's <laughs> yeah. it going to drop? You know what would be really cool is if you put the stranger theme he'll be he'll be first to think of that i only hear jay farrell um as as we've written about before (laughs) in relevant more and more advocates are actually calling for measures to reform the criminal justice system saying that not only are the current laws unfair but they also are expensive and ineffective at stopping crime jack cole is a retired police officer and founder of the group law enforcement against prohibition Mm. he explained to us earlier this year and it was in a um issue of relevant here's what he said Uh, About 4 million people above the age of 12 in the United States used an illegal drug in 1970 before we started the war. 4 million people. people. Uh, Today, the DEA tells us we have 121 million people above the age of 12 who've consumed an illegal drug in the U.S. So we went from 2% drug users to 46%. Uh, drug users under the war on drugs. It's hard for me to even contemplate how we could have come up with a worse policy if what we really wanted to do was reduce drug abuse. It's uh, compelling. The piece got quite a bit of feedback when we yeah. ran that. Yeah, I, it, it's I controversial because I think a lot of there's two ways to look at it. Because one is you know, this sense of morality where if you are a Christian, you know, and you think the biblical prohibition against like something like drunkenness also extends to other forms of mind altering and intoxication so that, you know, a lot of Christians have a moral stand against a lot of different types of drug use. But when you look at it pragmatically, if your goal is to, uh, you know, prevent drug abuse and people that are really having their lives ruined by it, you know, by, by addiction, then it, it may sound counterintuitive, but the reality is that just making it illegal, a blanket across the board, can do more harm than good. You, you take out, you, you put in a, a, a process that's entirely punitive instead of, uh, you know, any sort of rehabilitation, and you offer no safe alternatives, only uh, deadly options. And, you know, the consequences are really dramatic. They talk about in that article, too, of, though, of like between the 70s and now, like the, um, you know, access to, you know, drugs that are more and more addictive, you know, like meth and things like that. Was was that around? Was meth around in the 60s? I don't I don't even well, know. Well, I mean, <laughs> this is a whole separate conversation, but I mean, the the prevalence of some of these more dangerous drugs you know, they, they're linked to making other safer alternatives that were more popular, like marijuana, yeah. uh, you know, th- because meth is, is cheaper and easier to, to create than it is to grow marijuana in mass quantities. Mm-hmm. You know, you can link a lot of these more dangerous addictive alternatives to two things. One is the illegalization of marijuana, and two is the prevalence of addictive pharmaceuticals uh, that rely on opiates and that people get addicted to them, but they can no longer obtain them legally uh, because of how our uh, drug classification system, the difference between a class one, two, and three drug is set up that they're turning to more dangerous, cheaper Mm -hmm. options on the street. In case you missed it, a new comedy about the Antichrist is in the works. It's called Little Evil, and Adam Scott from Parks and Rec plays a man who finds the woman of his dreams, played by Evangeline Lilly. 
from Lost, uh, mm. only to find out after they get married that her six-year-old little boy just so happens to be the Antichrist himself and hilarity ensues. This is actually a prequel to the new Left Behind series. That <laughs> you know, they want to get it. They want to get way out ahead of it and just do, with, yeah. you know, start with the Antichrist yeah. as a kid. I think, I think the comic twist is interesting. If this show goes well, that little kid is not going to age well in that role. Oh. Like you got to be a little kid to make that funny because when he's 14, it's like, you know, oh, it's why they had to stop making Home Alone movies. It, it, because if, if Macaulay Culkin at some point is like 17 and there's, right. bur- and there's a home invasion movie, it's just not as endearing when he's like torturing them, right. you know? That's true. <laughs> yeah, no, you're just a masochist. Right. Okay, yeah. uh, and lastly, in case you missed it, this is a big one. This combined a lot of things I love in one so moment. one of the things that I like to do, because I'm an adult, when I run errands on a Saturday is pop on the NPR. Yeah, you know yeah. you're gonna you're gonna catch a little uh, wait wait don't tell me on a mm-hmm. Saturday morning they've That's recorded right. live on Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. and mm-hmm. Central Time in Chicago Illinois. Yep. So if I'm going out for a little lunch errand, wait wait's on. If you don't know what wait wait don't tell me is it's a, it's a just kind of a news quiz it happens every Saturday and it's funny they have com- comedians on they'll have a guest on they do crowd interaction and it's just literally like how well do you did you follow the news this week mm-hmm. so it's you know it's a thinking man's comedy show yeah. um, anyway so they uh, this week the guest was Chris Thiel who's taking over as the host of a Prairie Home Companion mm-hmm. uh, for Garrison Keeler who's famously retiring uh, this month and so Chris Thiel is coming on now who's Chris now he is the lead singer of the group Nickel Creek, so he's bringing some kind of hipster indie cred to the scene. Yes, it's uh, it's it's a really kind of an interesting shift. Punch For- Brothers also Nickel Creek formerly Punch Brothers currently. There you go, Chris Seeley. He's the best mandolin <laughs> player of all time. So so Chris Thiel comes on Nickel Creek. So they decided to do a humor quiz with him about uh, another band that Nickel Creek gets confused with for people who don't listen to music, mm. Nickelback. Mm. Which is a <laughs> super messed up confusion. A super if messed up confusion. If you're wanting one and you get the other, whichever direction right. you are talking about. So, 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 so yeah. they're kind of poking Chris Thiel that, you know, he's yeah. the lead singer of Nickelback. Here's some quit. And then, no, you're right. not in Nickel Creek. But here, how well do you know Nickelback? Here's three questions right. about Nickelback. <laughs> Question Number two. Now, this is a multiple choice thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What they'll do is say three items of uh, like a news item or, or a fact about the, the subject. Mm-hmm. And then you have to pick which one of these is true. Okay. Right. So this is a multiple question. Here is the question that kind of got our attention. Now, despite their reputation, Nickelback has done some good in this world. As in which of these examples? A, in their contract writer for their concerts. They stipulate that their leftover backstage Red Bull and vodka must be donated to nearby homeless shelters. <laughs> B, in 2015, a man was able to raise $36,000 for charity by agreeing to listen to Nickelback 24-7 for a week. Or C, they participated in a public awareness campaign warning young men against using flammable brands of hair mousse. Um, uh, I'm going to go with B this time. B, and the man who raised $36,000, you are right. He said, if you donate to this charity, I will uh, listen to Nickelback 24-7 for a week. And it worked. He raised all that money. He said, quote, when you're listening to this much consecutive Nickelback, it feels like one week is seven weeks. (laughs) Jesse. Jesse Carey got a laugh on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Yeah, yeah well, my only thing is, like, he kind of butchered my joke there a little. 
You want to right, do it? Because I said do it when again? you're listening to that volume yeah. of Nickelback, time turns into dog years, and that's why. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's why. <laughs> that is, is better. But whatever. I'll give it a pass. Your there. your joke was the Andy Minio of jokes. His was the Wiz Khalifa. <laughs> yeah, yeah I had show. a lot of Nickelback jokes that week. I could have felt. I felt like the writers. They could have contacted me. I would have happily so, contributed. Jesse, a how did how did you find out that you? were referenced on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. This is a crazy story, too, because I was on Saturday morning. I went on a bike ride, and I put it, and as as you do when you're running errands on Saturday morning, I like the, I really enjoy the the Saturday morning uh, NPR lineup because they play uh, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. They play this Amer- the new This American Life. So I was streaming it on my on my phone, and I heard the question come up You heard live. it live. No wow. way. Yeah. <laughs> I would, did you, like, fall over? I mean, I like. I know. I wish I could seen your face that's crazy i had here's the thing though when (laughs) when i when they when the nick nickelback came up as a as a topic i knew at that point the chances are probably 80 percent that if they're making nickelback jokes that our challenge is probably going to make an appearance i feel like it's going to follow me for the rest of my life it's it's the joke that will never die when they're when their show writers were trying to look for like obscure nickelback trivia that you know would trip people up or whatever (laughs) and you google Nickelback at any point right now you are in that near the top of the search results I mean like you the internet will never let anybody forget about this I I told Jesse uh, at a, a meeting the other day this will be in his eulogy Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, this it is, is what unfortunately oh, yeah. when when my kid when I'm when I'm long gone and my kids are, are are like thinking about my legacy. Like I was telling Cameron, like my grandfather was like a war hero. He has like medals, okay, from from war. <laughs> what they're gonna remember for me is oh cool, my dad listened to Nickelback for a week, and oh yeah, he was a joke on NPR one time. A joke on NPR. My parents, my you know my friends' parents are gonna think I'm really cool. Now. <laughs> <laughs> you should have. One lucky listener record uh, your your um, message on their home answering machine at the oh, end of the show. Yeah. Jesse Carey should get it. That oh, would make man. me really happy. I, and I, I love how the other two the other two multiple choice there were completely implausible. It could only have been one. It, was, it could have only yeah. been B. The uh, <laughs> our Twitter account, the relevant podcast Twitter account, blew up over the weekend where everybody was like, "My head just exploded. My podcast worlds have collided." You know, like Jesse <laughs> Carey just appeared on Wait Wait Don't Tell Me or was referenced. It's amazing, man. Yeah, true, 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 truly, <laughs> truly, I have arrived. So two years ago, <laughs> it was a Nickelback challenge. You raised thirty six thousand dollars, and you know the internet is still talking about it. And then this year, you did a Trapped in the Cage, where yeah. you watched twenty four hours of Nicolas Cage movies. You raised over thirty thousand dollars. Which I heard think- also through the grapevine and through Twitter that are you guys familiar with the Dan Lebetard show? Yeah, yeah. He's he's a ESPN uh, uh, syndicated radio show host, and I guess they have some sort of. I, I don't listen to his show. Right? I'm aware of him, but you know that he comes on early in the day. I don't really listen to him. But they have some sort of like board of death challenge, right? <laughs> Where people on their show, you know, are forced to do sort of these different uh, uh, challenges involving sports, uh, you know, predictions or whatever. Anyway, one of the spots that someone on the show can land on is they have to watch Nicolas Cage movies for 12 hours straight. 12 hours. Yeah, one big deal. If you're going to take our idea, go go in all the way. Or, or double it or go bigger. Yeah, thank you. If you're going to copy, improve on it. 
Yeah, exactly. So, you Stand know, I, on the I, shoulders I like of to giants. think that our pop yeah. culture challenges are making some sort of impact out there. I still think we get, we we need to keep with the Nick theme for the for next year's charity challenge. Nick, we got to yeah, figure yeah. that out. Nick Willenda. Hey, I'm going, uh, speaking of the, you raising money for Charity Water, um, I, you know, last year I, I, I did my birthday for Charity Water too and was able to, you know, raise enough money to build a well. I'm going yeah. with Scott Harrison and the team out to Ethiopia in March for uh, the week of my birthday next year to see the wells that we've built. Oh, that's awesome. So I'll see the Nickelback wells and take pictures and report back. (laughs) Please. (laughs) Can you bring cardboard cutouts of the band and Jesse and take next to the well? Oh, I'm sure they'll love that. (laughs) (laughs) The band has been so receptive so far. Yeah, they've been like super into this thing the whole time. (laughs) Can you at least wear an affliction shirt the day you go? (laughs) (laughs) Hat tip to them as good sports. Yeah. Yeah. That is your Donald Trump hair tussle. You wearing, (laughs) listen, you wear, (laughs) you you frosting your tips. Yeah. Yeah, gotta frost and, them and and growing a goatee. I gotta and wear, I gotta wear the the metal ball uh, necklace yeah, as well. Y- you wearing that the day you visit that well, I feel like is an olive branch to them. Hey, when that, when listen, you raise sure when you raise enough is. money to fully fund a well through Charity Water, you get the opportunity of naming it on the GPS. Yep. Did you name your Nickelback wells? Because you built almost four of them. Three, three full ones. I don't think I. I, I remember some correspondence. I, I here's the thing. I don't think I wanted to call them Nickelback Wells just because I didn't want the people that were had to go and drink out of them every day to literally have to look at the name Nickelback every time they wanted fresh water. I just felt that like that wasn't right. I can't remember the name, but they're not. They're not called Nickelback Wells. But again, so you then I'm get, just the random guy with frosted tips and affliction shirt walking around. You should name them. You should name them after Nickelback okay, songs. Cameron, it's an olive branch. It's not going to be. It's going to be uncomfortable. <laughs> What are the names of Nickelback songs that you could name them? That would be like still feel like yeah, Jesse. Yeah, Jesse. Four Jesse. members, aren't there four members? <laughs> so you think so? You think that each of the wells should be named after a member of Nickelback? Yeah, Ricky, <laughs> Donald. I'm Ricky. pretty sure it's like Chad, Brock, Brody, and uh, just. Oh, oh, I love man. how you act like you don't really know I don't, their names. <laughs> I, don't, I think it's a Chad, Brock, Brody. <laughs> and so you you fully I funded. I was trying to think of the most bro names I could think of. You fully funded uh, three wells with Nicholas Cage. Uh, so I mean, oh, I mean clearly Nicholas Cage has to be the name of one of the wells. Yeah, I think, well, I, because no one's going to have a problem drinking from a Nicolas Cage well. Oh, yeah, or Nicolas Cage it's not, 2. It's not the or same. Or Nicolas like, Cage 3. Yeah. <laughs> we can do better than Nicolas Cage 2 and 3. Well, you can't do well, better than uh, Nicolas Cage. You could do the left behind well. Mm-hmm. Face that off. That might be a little scary. The face off well? <laughs> yeah. So, like, if you drink of this water, your face will fall off? That would be a bad implication, no. Do they actually put up a little sign at the well or is it just like, you know, your GPS coordinates and you named it, it's, but there's not like a little plaque there that says like the, you know what ni- I'm going to do when I'm there? I'm going to install a little plaque, a little plaque, like, bring a little plaque. Yeah. yeah. Like going to the moon. You just Scott's put like, what are you doing? It. I'm like, don't worry. I got some plexi glue here. Don't worry. I don't need to drill or anything. Like you're actually destroying the well, but whatever <laughs> you're, the, the plexi glue is going to seep in we'll and paint the water. Out. We'll fix it. All right. That'll do it for in case you missed it. Stay tuned up next slices. Set me free. Through my darkest of dreams Be 
listening to The Steel. The song is Send Them Off. The Steel. Send Them Off. Yeah, their new album is really good. It all sounds like Bastille, but you know, yeah, if well, you like Bastille, all the songs not. sound like Bastille. <laughs> At the beginning of the podcast, <laughs> there's, nothing, there's nothing wrong with sounding like Bastille, <laughs> especially Bastille. if you are a Bastille. Yeah, right. I mean, you don't want somebody else to sound like Bastille, <laughs> particularly if you are the band Bastille. Bastille. At the beginning of the podcast, you heard Reliant K with oh. the song "Bummin." We're back in it. Uh, there, it's a good song. You, I mean, you heard it. It's mm-hmm. good. Delightful. There you go. My first show. Okay. What? Your first concert you ever concert. attended? Mm-hmm. Really? Mine that was, was crazy. Without, without my parents. Mine was Mylon Lefevre and Broken Heart. Wait, wait. But I was with mom and dad. Wait. <laughs> yeah. That was the first concert without your parents? Yeah, yeah. I was 13. What was the first concert with your parents? Um, I don't know. I don't remember. Mine was Steve Green. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I love Christian kids. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, don't think I, I don't think to this day I've ever attended a concert with my parents. <laughs> Well, you're cooler than all of us, Jesse, okay? <laughs> you haven't? I still go to concerts with my he parents. He would drive himself as an eight-year-old down yeah. to the Civic Center. Yeah. No, I'm just saying, like, I, I don't think, I think if my parents went to a concert, I don't think they were bringing me and my brother along. But I, I don't even know. Maybe they would, maybe like a Michael McDonald or like an Eagles concert oh, or something, sweet. but I never attended with yeah, them. Yeah, I saw uh, Pink Floyd with my dad at like Tampa Stadium when I was like nine. That was kind of a weird move wow. on a on a dad part. A weird to, dad move? I went and saw Michael was. McDonald last year with my parents. Michael, Michael McDonald. Was it? It was awesome. Yeah, he's incredible. Dude, Michael McDonald is like I, I put on Michael McDonald vinyl last night. Yeah, I know he's talented, but it's just such a, uh, like, you'd see him on PBS, right? During the, like, where they're trying to raise money. My mom grew up on, like, Motown and gospel, and then yeah. in the 80s, uh, you know, the worship movement started, mm-hmm. and so, like, after the late 80s Maranatha music and the Hosanna, but all she listens to now is worship, right? And, yeah. and, 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 you know, that's it. But in the 80s, we had the transition as a family where she was coming out of her R&B Motown, discovered Yacht Rock, and it was pre-worship. Mm, and so yeah. my car rides as a kid was like Joy 108, and it was all Michael McDonald and stuff like that. That's what I grew up on. <laughs> Dude, Michael so, McDonald's the best. Mine was all the Beaches soundtrack on tape. So, so the bridge every morning of my life. I still, every time I hear Wind Beneath My Wings, I just shudder. I'm like, oh, that stupid song. <laughs> so Cameron, for, for your mom, the bridge between Motown and Hosanna worship was yeah. Yacht Rock? Kind of, yeah. It, it was. Kind of in a weird way. It was Notes. Because, it was, can I be honest with you? James <laughs> Taylor, Hollow Notes, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I feel like Yacht Rock is the most debauched form of music on earth. No way! Like, no it is way. wonderful. I no, have a Yacht Rock playlist promoting. on Spotify that I made. Oh, wait! Good. I but gotta I be honest. I, what does Yacht stand for? Uh, no, yacht. yacht, like a it's boat. A, you wear of, a little captain's hat, and you're out on a oh, you're out on a yacht. IOT wearing your polo, and it stood for boat shoes. <laughs> yeah, you're wearing boat shoes, polo. Acronym. Got your little captain's hat on. You're listening to some Captain and Tennille. You're uh, you're having a good day. Cameron, the the, li- the lifestyle they're promoting. You know what goes on on those yachts. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I was an eight. I didn't know what was going on. That's a subversive sound, man. Like, <laughs> I didn't know it all. Out, hey, listen, they pull out from port, you know, and, and when that Yacht Rock's playing, yeah. you know, don't go out there. Dude, okay? Christopher Cross, he, when sailing comes on, it just takes me away. You know what I'm saying? I don't know where sign. they're taking me, but I'm, I'm yeah, floating. You don't, you don't want to know. That's the point. <laughs> okay, it's time for slices. What do you have, Jesse? All right, guys. Well, I have... It's, what can only be described as a disturbing, disturbing update. Um, I hesitate to even bring this up to even bring the whole cast down today. Oh, no. But I feel like it's my duty. Uh, for the last few months, I've been going down 
a sick rabbit hole to just to see how deep this thing is. It all it all started uh, back when the lid got blown off Big Floss a few months ago. You guys remember? <laughs> Big we Floss found, is still, I think, one of my favorite things you've ever said. We yeah. found out that the whole Floss myth has been a lie perpetrated on us by the <laughs> dental industry right. to get us to keep forking over two dollars every other month yeah. for for their silly string. Yeah. Okay. So and you just I, I've been very distrusting of the teeth. dental industry my entire life, and this is just that just you know sparked something in me. Yeah. So I've ha- I've had to continue my research. Yeah, guys, this goes deeper than we ever imagined here. What? Uh, who's the crazy one now? Because all of a sudden, <laughs> big wisdom. I'm questioning big dental x-ray i'm questioning big biannual teeth cleaning i'm questioning the house of cards is coming down right before our eyes here is what i have found this is this is from several of her reports including uh uh from marketplace.com the new york times and as you'll hear uh, uh, an actual dental consultant the, the 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 wool has been pulled over our eyes. So okay, so let's take myth number one yeah. that we need our teeth cleaned twice a year. Everyone's heard that, right? Yeah. That you need to go for your biannual teeth cleanings. Well, how does that stack up to the science? According to a 2005 evidence-based dental industry systematic review, the conclusions are that there is no sufficient evidence. Uh, that these that there that can draw any conclusions that these biannual cleanings are actually beneficial. Was this study done in Great Britain? No, this this was an American-based study. So then the Alabama Children's Health Insurance Program found that for the most part, one annual preventative uh, uh, visit for children, this is just going once a year, was not even cost-effective. They're bringing you in, they're cashing your checks, and they're sending you on your way, and you don't even need it. (laughs) Then uh, another person for the New York Times looked at uh, if if an adult without dental problems, Mm -hmm. there's little evidence to support that yearly dental x-rays are even needed. So they're, they're pushing cleanings on us and our kids, and they're pushing x-rays. Now here, this is what I found the most disturbing. I ha- I, do, do, real quick, around the table, do you guys have wisdom teeth? Yeah, uh, no. I don't know. I, don't I have, know. A name, I have uh, all wisdom teeth. Only so, wisdom Eddie, teeth. You, you, have not, you don't have your wisdom teeth. Okay, no, well, I, you said you have all wisdom teeth. I thought you were saying that you're all of the teeth in your mouth were wisdom <laughs> they teeth. They are. They're all like those double-decker that weird explains, teeth. Yeah, that explains that your lack of smiling. I understand. Yeah, it's a very odd thing. They're all, you, you have all wisdom teeth, and they're all impacted. Yes, I have all my... I took all my wisdom teeth out. It was, yeah, a, well, it was a joke that didn't work, what I just said. So, okay. so none no, of us have wisdom teeth. We have no wisdom on this podcast. That explains a Chandler, lot. Chandler, do you know if you have wisdom teeth or not? It feels like you wouldn't know that. I, I do not have have I, they were removed when I was eighteen? Let, let, let me wow. guess. Some, let me guess. Some quote unquote dentist told you you needed them out. <laughs> right. Mine were growing <laughs> in sideways and made my teeth crooked and had oh, braces. Oh, well, is that oh, what they told you? Got, is that what they told you? Well, <laughs> I got news for you. Well, I get. Guess what? The, 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 in fact, that they were in, impacted. Right. Well, one of the claims of surgeon that if you leave these impacted teeth in place, in place like yours, Chandler, that there's a chance they'll cause future problems. Well, guess what? A researcher found that that only happens in less than one percent of the time. Wow. One I, was, I was duped. Yeah, you were duped. By the way, speaking of all wisdom teeth. It's, it's not cheap to take those things out. You're going to get a dental this. bill. Hey, hey, you might be on to something, Cameron, because huh. it costs at least $600 for the procedure. So according to Jay Friedman, researcher and dental consultant in Los Angeles, if you were to reduce the amount of extractions on average, each dental practice would lose on average $500,000 a year. No way. So this is literally 
literally 99% of the, the patients do not need to have their wisdom teeth taken out. If they're out. impacted, regular wisdom teeth, 80% of the time, there will yeah. be no further problems in your life. I just, so if you have impacted wisdom teeth, there's a less than 1% one, 1 chance that it's ever going to have any problems, even though they told you need them out, like Chandler over there. And if you have regular <laughs> wisdom teeth, there, there's an 80% chance you're never going to have a problem with them in your life. Okay, I'm... We need to talk to a dentist. I texted my dentist to see if she's available, and we'll see. Wait, if you're she's on here. a text basis with your dentist? Mm -hmm, obviously, I, I I don't know, Eddie. I'm not sure I can trust you. He's but a by frequent the way, flyer. That's 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 half a million dollars, right? Yeah, your teeth are your best friend. I don't know if she's going to have an an honest yeah. answer. I, I and she has talked to me. I talked to her about your big floss theory, yeah. and she it's, shot it, it down. It took her two sentences. And but I don't. I don't. Oh, I'm I, sorry. The theory that was. <laughs> by scientists who looked at research, not someone who this is their living. And you don't see the problem with Wait, this, Eddie, that you're getting your information from somebody who makes their What'd living at this. I don't, I don't remember. It was a I, don't, I, don't, I don't trust her. I, I want no dentist on this podcast. Jesse, I'm not, I'm not saying that I floss every day by any means, but when I do, if, feels really good and you do get those popcorn kernels well you have the velvet floss the movie out of your teeth yeah so what do you do you just want to let it build up I, I i'm joy i'm sinfully telling you what the science says you can believe you know you can believe that santa claus comes to your house every every christmas <laughs> if you want to but i'm i'm here to tell you you've been living a lie <laughs> we really need to get a medical professional yeah, on the show. Real quick, we, we, I went back to Eddie's point about him having the joke that that uh, uh, didn't land about him having all wisdom teeth. I mean, it was a very bad joke. In fairness, but I did you, have you guys noticed? Have you guys ever seen? This is absolutely true. That Nick Jonas has three front teeth. <laughs> Nick Jonas. <laughs> this is true. I'm not making this up. I, I didn't plan on talking about this. This is no, a whole other conspiracy. What do you mean? Oh, like he's got a honestly, center one and then two, like a right and a no. left? Did you discover this no. from not looking at uh, Okay. Okay. Hold Hold time look, out. I'm time looking out. it up. Okay. I'm, I'm calling time. We're podcast uh, oh, diversion yeah. here. If, you, if you're listening on a mobile device... Or if, if you're in front of a computer while you're listening, Google Nick Jonas three front teeth. I'm not lying. Yeah. It's not like they're it's not like he has two normal ones and then just an accidental other one. No, no, yeah. it's literally legit three right in a row. Three giant front teeth. Dude, I typed in in the Google search, uh, I typed in Nick Jonas and in an auto-filled Nick Jonas, three teeth. Nick Jonas, three front teeth. That's what my options were in the drop down go, on Google. Go to, the, go to the image search. Well, and the, fir the first image that came up for me was him smiling and someone had drawn one, one two, three. two, three on the teeth. <gasps> it's true. I'm going to never be able to understand. You can't that. unsee that. How do you do that? Hey, Chandler, I feel like if you were to talk to Nick Jonas, you'd have to use the bridge of his nose trick. <laughs> Because <laughs> otherwise, he would know. Otherwise, he would know. It's like you Google the three teeth thing. I'm not going to see all your like, We're trying to have a conversation here. We're trying to have a conversation. And you're clearly just looking at my three front teeth. <laughs> That's amazing. All right. What do you have, Joy? That is really something. Sorry, Joy. Real quick. if we Can we make an editorial house rule real quick, Cameron? If we ever refer to Nick Jonas in print, that it says Nick Jonas, comma, who has three front teeth, comma, and it's about him. Yeah. No matter what it's about. 
right. He could yeah. be pulling up across up a hill with Chris Pratt, and we would say, Chris Pratt and Nick Jonas, comma, who has three front teeth, comma, we're dragging across up a hill. Billboard reports that Nick Jonas, comma, who has three front teeth, comma, has an old album in the country. Parentheses, Nick Jonas has three front teeth. And, and you know, headline, right now, 150,000 people who are listening to this podcast are pulling their phones out and Googling Nick Jonas right now. Look, but he does. This, this isn't me saying anything bad about him. I'm just no, saying. He's a great guy. This, he, it's, Super it's nice fact. dude. Super it's nice guy. Even if, even if we reference Nick Jonas in a headline, it has to be Nick Jonas, comma, who has three front teeth, yeah. comma. <laughs> All right. What do you have, Joy? All right. Uh, well, before I get to my slice, uh, Jesse, when you said you were uh, on a downward spiral on the internet for this, made me think of, um, and we're, we're not going to be able to talk about it, but none of you have seen it, but has anybody seen the Tickled documentary? No. Nope. I'm aware of it. Okay. It's in the same vein, I think, as Jinx. It's obviously not, well, it's still pretty dark, but it's uh, just has to deal with people that are very, very wealthy in power and whatnot, but <laughs> it's it's fascinating if you like Jinx. So you guys watch it, and we'll talk about it sometime. Okay. <laughs> So my slice, though, is um, on on the topic we've talked about, Crowder's goatee, going to a beard, trying to stay with the times, Chris Pratt as a church growth strategy. Um, so my question for you guys is, what kind of things has your church done to try and keep up with the times? Sometimes my pastor will flip a chair around backwards. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Preaching and on we'll, the stool. We'll, We'll get, we'll get, well, things will get uncomfortable. Things will get real. We'll start doing a little life and, uh, you know, just sip a cup of cappuccinos and, uh, you know. It's not a sermon. It's a, it's a conversation. All right. Well, um, so in Japan, um, which is a primarily a Buddhist country, uh, a lot of over the years, um, people have moved from rural communities that have a temple, um, to the bigger cities for work. And now Japan's at a point where um, 70% of their people identify as not religious or even atheist. Um, but when it comes to certain ceremonial practices, they still, you know, in the traditional sense, want to, um, you know, whether it's they, they do like a year remembrance after somebody's uh, died and there's this whole ceremony that you do. And so there's not, you know, they don't in the rural communities, they have their temples in these bigger cities. They don't they don't have them as much. And so um, this company came up with a solution. They said for the people who still want to perform these ceremonies and want them in the in their home, but they need um, a a Buddhist priest, uh, we will create a company where you can purchase a priest for a set amount of money to come to your home. Well, it totally took off because people wanted this. And now Amazon has picked them up. And so you can literally in Japan go onto Amazon and order a Buddhist priest and he will show up at your home and perform the ceremony. Oddly combined with drone delivery, it's been a very <laughs> tragic story. Jetpack delivery. Wow. Yeah, isn't that fascinating? And another thing, the reason that they really like it is because some the culture of the temples in Japan, um, or maybe all Buddhist temples, I'm not for sure, are that they never put prices on things. And so there's kind of this thing of like pay what you will, but it's this uncomfortable thing for people where they feel like they need to pay a ton because they haven't been going to the temple or whatnot. Whereas this is just straight. It's, you know, 35,000 yen for this ceremony. Um, But now the controversy that's happening is that just like religious institutions all around the world, um, they get these big tax breaks because it's a a nonprofit. But now that it's turned into this kind of like 
Buddhist priest for profit company, they're kind of going, so do we need to tax them differently? So that's what they're dealing with. But so what, what would like the Christian equivalent of that be like, like having a pastor, like paying a pastor on Amazon? No, like I think how we've tried to like say, oh, you don't have to come to church anymore. You can stream it at home. You can give online. You know, um, I don't know if the the Christian equivalent of having a pastor come and do a private service in your home is and ordering off of Amazon if we're at at that point. But I do think you see similarities all around the world of where, you know, people are trying to meet the needs of the audience or the people. I'd like to they could just stream a wedding or just push play on a video. (laughs) Just something just deeply impersonal. Just so you, so you wouldn't have to attend. Yeah. You just, they just push play and it's like the bride and the groom look at each other. They just use like real generic uh, pronouns for the entire thing. And that's all you need. It's not even real. I mean, I guess we kind I think a lot of people who wouldn't um, identify as religious in America kind of do a similar thing with hiring a pastor for a funeral ceremony. Um, You know, and there's not a cost that the pastor charges, but usually you give them a donation. How does that get started? Like, does Amazon call and decide like, Hey, we want to do this. Or is somebody like list me on Amazon? You know, there, there is a, there is a for-profit company that saw this as a need, started it. Had like, just call Amazon. This seems like a minor point to your, to your slice. Forget it. Are you wondering how to get yourself listed on Amazon? No, I'm just wondering like how they get this crazy (laughs) junk on Amazon. Joy, I I need a couple more details. Like (laughs) hypothetically, specifically in America who could really use some extra money. Okay. Just just hear me out here. Is this, is there a number? Can can you say the number while I write it down on this piece of paper? (laughs) (laughs) Just listening. Just kind of dig into the details of how one would do this. Should yeah. one well, want <laughs> to do this? <laughs> Did the article? No, it, was, little... it was started. Well, but, Joy, hypothetically, should one need some money right now like, and be willing to sell a variety of services on Amazon? ASAP. There is a number is what you're saying that I call. Okay. And how do I get connected with a drone that can deliver me? A drone that could lift, you know, right. a, just a, a racquetball enthusiast right. of a Gear, certain size. Carry me over there. Drop <laughs> me at someone's house from 30 feet Listen, or less. I would say I'm about the size. I don't know. Uh, about a Buddhist monk, okay? Yeah. Yeah. So I know the technology is there. Right. So I, what I'm trying to establish you is, is I can't get around this. The technology is there. We know that. We know you're zipping these guys all over the place. Okay, I don't think it's a drone situation. I, the other day on the internet, I saw a jet ski race a guy on a yeah. uh, jetpack, yeah. wearing a jetpack. No, it was like no, a hoverboard. Uh, hoverboard. Yeah, yeah over a lake. so insane. And, uh, and the hoverboard was incredibly fast. Yeah. And and wow. beat the jet ski, and so, wow. Wow. And, but it wasn't just like a straight line. It was like zigzag back and forth, back and forth, course, <laughs> and the, and the jet ski uh, uh, was smoked. So wow. I think that's what it is. You got these little like hoverboards that you just step up on, and <laughs> you're off and going. Yeah, I don't need to know any backstory. They don't need to do the preparing and rich. We just marry them and get out of there. <laughs> and then you just jump on your hoverboard and off you go. Off we go. Done. Don't marry the next person. To the next one. Hundred percent divorce rate. <laughs> <laughs> no way they're going to make it. Yeah. Uh, okay, what do you have, Eddie? Um, a gentleman from Perth, Australia, was on holiday, as he called it, in Nashville. And in Why Nash- would somebody by from the way, Perth... By the way, that throws me off every time. That he was from Perth? When I hear someone... Ref- no, well, yeah, I mean, I don't, oh, I don't trust people from Perth. Oh, yeah. But uh, <laughs> uh, no, when I hear someone refer to vacation as holiday. Yeah, it's a little... Yeah, that always throws me off. You need off. to travel it's, more, man. It's, 90% of the world calls it that. 
C.S. Lewis does. I know, but what I'm saying, every time I hear it, it's like, well, what's the holiday? What What is the holiday? Did you just make one up or are you on vacation? You the, know? Your on holiday is different than a holiday. The other thing too is, is the guys from Australia. Just like when you're on a chair, it's different than being a chair. Do you understand? <laughs> okay. do, you, do, you, do you get it? Still, I, still, I, I, I still don't trust the people of Perth, but continue. <laughs> no, and, and we're also burying the part of it that a guy from Australia went to Nashville for a right. vacation. Yeah, that's bizarre. That's kind of like New York, LA, <laughs> Orlando even. Come see Disney World, but we're going just getting hot chicken yeah. three quarters of the way around the world. Um, so he's on holiday in Nashville and apparently he's having a late night and he walks out and he faces the conundrum that we've all faced. Do I get a hamburger or a hot dog? What does he get? Uh, it's going to go hot dog. Nailed it. He got both of them. <laughs> so he gets both of them and he's in his car <laughs> and he is double fisting a hamburger and a hot dog. Takes a bite of one. Takes a bite. As, as one does. Right. Yeah. Takes a bite of the other. He's not going to eat one at a time. He's going back and forth. His wife starts to make fun of him, but he starts to say, this is a delicious combination. This man has since gone back to Australia and <laughs> excuse me, has gone back to Australia and has patented and appeared on Australian Shark Tank with his invention, the ham dog. <laughs> so let me explain to you what a ham, ham dog is. And I know that this is an audio medium, but I'm pretty sure I can do it justice. Yeah. Cut a hamburger in half. <laughs> okay. Put a hot dog. Put those two halves beside the hot dog. So it looks like yeah. if you look at the bun, the bun looks like Saturn. <laughs> so I have a question. <laughs> why, a, why do you need to go to Shark Tank to do that? Well, he patented the whole <laughs> yes. ham dog idea. What, real quick, Eddie, what did he possibly <laughs> ask for on Shark Tank? Because like let's say he's asking for, you know, like it was probably a $600 million valuation. $15 million. Yeah. Yeah. $15 million for three percent. Let's say he, he's looking for equity in his company, right? That, that he needs cash for something. What is that? Something? <laughs> what you, is the, the ask though? Is it a restaurant? He's trying to I start have a utility patent on the bun making process. <laughs> oh, bun making. process, Right. Cause okay. the buns are very different and hard to make. Most yeah. impressive I have, part for sure. I have f- figured out a way to cut hamburgers in half at an incredibly fast rate and fuse them back onto the sides of a hot dog patented. You can't do that. Yeah. So I've been selling them for $6 in Australian money, which I think is about the same as American money. And I would like a patent $10 million valuation. Are you in or out? <laughs> That's did it. He, it. he did not get it. Oh God. No, no, no. They did not invest in him. They thought it was a terrible idea, but he has all the patents also secured. Wait, global patents or can we in the U S just hear this about this, this is, Perth guy? Well, this is why I bring it back to us. Cause I know we have some Australian listeners and I'm wait, sure they're well, like Eddie, Eddie, I have a question though. Yeah, yeah. Like legally, is there anything stopping me from going to my kitchen right now? making a hamburger and putting a hot dog on top and eating it. Like, do I owe that guy royalties? First of all, a hot dog on top is not a ham dog. You would need yeah. to cut the hamburger in half. Do you understand? Why not just cook them together? Like, why not just like, yeah, this push is, the... this is, well, it seems like he's overcomplicated <laughs> this process, like exponentially. It seemed like his original solution of just double fisting with a hamburger in one hand and a hot dog in the other. Why didn't he just patent that? Yeah. It is the world's only patented burger. It has been patented in the United States. 
watch out for it. Ham dog is coming to America. Ham dog. And I can't tell ham you, dog. That'd be a good nickname. Uh, ham dog. Good old ham dog string. That's Channing. <laughs> That's Channing. Um, yeah. So it's coming to America. <laughs> Get excited. I, uh, I I have not done the research yet, but if you know where a ham dog is, please let us know because we would love. He's probably I, out playing Pokemon. I do. Go. There's one yeah. at Mulligan's Bar in Georgia now. What Mulligan's Bar in Georgia? That's yeah. not that far from us. I know. You can go. Somebody get to Mulligan's Bar in Georgia and give us a ham dog review. Yep. ASAP. All right, that'll do it for slices. <laughs> Stay tuned. Up next, David Crowder joins us. Listening to Empire of the Sun. The song is high and low. Well, this week's uh, performance is brought to you by Blue Apron. Not all ingredients are created equal. Fresh, high quality ingredients taste better and are better for you. So it's important to know where your food comes from. That's why I love Blue Apron. Uh, I I actually am a customer. I actually cook with it. And as a guy who doesn't cook, it's incredibly easy. For less than ten bucks a meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-proportioned ingredients to make delicious home cooked meals. Blue Apron knows that when you cook with incredible ingredients, you make incredible meals. So they set the highest quality standards for their community of artisanal suppliers, family-run farms, fisheries, and ranchers. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com relevant. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com relevant. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. David Crowder remains one of the most influential figures in the modern worship movement. In the last 20 years, he's written countless songs that are now sung in churches around the world, has been nominated for a Grammy, and has reached number two on the Billboard Top 200 chart. His latest album, American Prodigal, introduces the latest chapter in his creative evolution, blending Americana, stadium rock, and hymn-inspired songwriting. The album releases today. A couple weeks ago, uh, David Crowder came by the studio and played a few songs from the new album for us. Here is David Crowder. You came for criminals and every Pharisee. You came for hypocrites, even one like me. You carried sin and shame, the guilt of every man, the weight of all I've done, nailed into your Streams, oh, 
Check out his new album, American Prodigal. It's out today. You're listening to Mel Jute. Song is Concrete, featuring Pete Philly. Matthew Sorens is the U.S. Director of Church Mobilization for World Relief. 
and the co-author of the book Seeking Refuge on the Shores of the Global Refugee Crisis. The book looks at the unprecedented scope of the crisis, dispels misconceptions about the refugee situation, and explains why Christians are called to help some of the world's most vulnerable. Very own Aaron Hambury recently spoke to him. Here is Matthew Sorens. Well, I mean, I guess to start off, why why did you write the book? I mean, there was no, there is no shortage of commentary on refugees, particularly this year of all years. Um, why bring something else to the table? Yeah, you know, when we uh, we've been at World Relief, we've been serving refugees since the late 1970s. So we've been doing this for a long time in partnership both with the State Department as well as with lots and lots of local churches. But the interesting thing is, honestly, refugee resettlement was never really controversial, at least in the time, the 10 years or more that I've been at World Relief. Um, it was other immigration issues, you know, what about those who are undocumented? Those have always been controversial questions, but refugees were kind of the the easy part of what we did. Um, there are people who all have legal status, they have these very compassionate, you know, compassion-inducing, sympathetic stories of fleeing from persecution. Uh, so it's very interesting that it's just been in the last year, really about a year ago, right now, when that image of, of Alan Kurdi, you know, floating ashore on the beach in Turkey, went all over the internet and all over newspapers all over the world. It created a wave of interest, both uh, in, in a sense of a positive interest and compassion towards the, the, the refugee crisis coming out of Syria in particular, but very quickly followed by a, another wave of interest, which was focused more on fear. And I think with the terrorist attacks that happened in Paris and then later in California, that contributed much more significantly to that fear. And I think that's especially true in the United States. Um, I should say those terrorist attacks, to the best of our knowledge, didn't involve any refugees. Um, but that doesn't necessarily matter in the public perception. Um, right. That was the the, that was what people thought. So we really wrote the book to be a guide for, for followers of Jesus in particular to say those responses of compassion and fear are understandable, but we want to make sure that our response is grounded in, in God's word, that it's grounded in the facts, because there's so much misinformation out there right now. And that it's grounded in the truth that each of those people is made in the image of God. Um, and they each have an individual story. So a lot of the book is really the opportunity for us to tell some of the stories of the refugees whom we've been able to serve, both in the U.S. and internationally, um, over the many years that World Relief has been working with local churches to do this. Let's go down the, the fear path uh, a little bit. I appreciated what you said about some of the fears being understandable, I guess. And I think... I think that's something that, myself included, right? Um, we can tend to overlook that some of these, some of the people here in the United States are jockeying for a political position. Some are trying to win votes. Some are rabble rousers, and others, I think, are genuinely afraid. Right? I mean, there's been some Absolutely. horrific things happening around the world. Um, so, for, I mean, I guess based on research or, or whatever you would draw from. What are some ways in which these fears aren't grounded in reality? So I, mean, I guess let's take sure. the particular fear that refugees are going to be a conduit for uh, Islamic-based or ISIS-based terrorism here in the United States. Yeah, I, I think you know a lot of those misunderstandings are based on some statements by politicians who will say things like, well, we have no process to vet refugees. Or even by seeing images of people 
you know, coming ashore in Europe and people presuming that somehow we have the parallel situation in the United States, that this is just people showing up and we have to figure out who they are. And while in Europe it's more complicated because they're, they're not technically refugees, they're asylum seekers and they're that until a government determines they are actually a refugee, which can take some time. In the United States, we admitted 70,000 refugees to the United States last year. It'll be slightly more than that this year. Every single one of those individuals was vetted, was screened by the U.S. government, the State Department in coordination with the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and the Department of Defense, the FBI, the National Counterterrorism Center. It's a very thorough process that happens entirely overseas. Um, it usually takes at least 18 months, often much longer. Um, and those are just a few refugees who are actually going to be resettled. Last year, it was less than one half of one percent of the world's refugees who were resettled to the United States. The vast majority never even get considered. Those who do get considered go through this very thorough vetting process, and if there's any hint of any concern, they're not allowed to be resettled to the U.S. Um, that's actually the most thorough vetting process that any category of immigrant or visitor to the United States is required to undergo. Um, and, and I mean, for context, we had 70 million people visit the United States last year. Mm. And for whatever reason, and I think a lot of it is politically driven, we've focused so much of the attention on the 70,000 of those 70 million who already went through the most thorough vetting by far. I think one of the best evidences that that process is quite effective is that we've actually never had a terrorist attack in the United States that was perpetrated by someone who came in on the U.S. Refugee Resettlement Program. Now, I can't 100% guarantee that something bad couldn't happen in the future. I can't guarantee that about my one-year-old son who was born here, because frankly, if you look at you know, Islamic jihadist extremist terrorist attacks in the United States, more have been committed by Christian converts to Islam that have been committed by refugees. But I am not concerned about the refugees whom we serve. I have had Middle Eastern refugees live in my house, take care of my kids, and they're wonderful families um, who love this country and are grateful for this country. I think it's totally appropriate that we're screening and vetting them, but I also think it's important that we continue to do so and that we make our determinations based on the facts, not just on a, uh, you know, people trying to work out fears around refugees in particular. So everything you're talking about is very uh, legal, right? It has a lot to do with policy, has a lot to do with uh, the federal government, et cetera. Is this primarily a, uh, a political issue? You know, again, it never used to be, and I would prefer it not be. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, of course, it's going to be a policy decision who comes into the United States. But I think, the, you know, I spend a lot of my time answering the question of, is this safe? And I'm happy to do that. I, the question I'd rather be asking, answering is, who is my neighbor? And I think that there's a really compelling case for those of us who are followers of Jesus that the Syrian refugee or the Burmese refugee or the Congolese refugee or wherever is our neighbor. That's true when they're overseas and we should do what we can to come alongside local churches to care for them there. But the relative few who are allowed to be resettled into the United States, I think we also have an an opportunity to love them here, to welcome them, to be there at the airport as they arrive. Um, One of the things we do with World Relief is we work with, with a small group from a local church, which we call a good neighbor team, drawing from from Jesus's words in Luke chapter 10, where the story of the Good Samaritan, where we're there to welcome that family and really commit to walking alongside them for the first six months to a year that they're in the country, helping them, you know, with some basic cultural adjustment tasks, but more importantly, just by being friends. And for a lot of refugees, they'll tell you that their their most significant need as they arrive is for a friend. So talk to me about this kind of divide in terms of neighbors and uh, I guess we'll say global politics or something. So, uh, you know, for a Christian who 
genuinely wants to help refugees. I, I, there's local elections and whatever, but by and large, you know, a voting booth experience is only once every few years. And then there's things, I guess, you know, you would say is in calling congressmen, et cetera, those kind of things. Other than that, what what is it that that person uh, could be or should be doing uh, to help refugees, is it is it a matter of looking around, or yeah? I guess how would you break? I guess in my in my head, it, there seems to be this kind of divide because I, I do think there's this level of um, being kind to refugees, the, kind of the soup kitchen type ministry, uh, resettlement ministries, those kind of things, and then there's also this sense in which it's such a big issue being talked about by like world leaders that it seems almost unattainable. Like there's nothing we could do. It's like when people talk about, you know, controlled economics or something, that's just something that's yeah. happening in political debates. So how, how do we, how do we make that more earthy? Yeah. I mean, I think I would encourage people. The first thing I would encourage people to do is to find that local opportunities to engage. Even if it's, you know, if you can give up an hour once a week to, to volunteer, uh, we have about 27 world relief offices around the country and there are other, uh, you know, kind of partner organizations like the, Catholic Charities or Lutheran Immigration Refugee Services or Church World Service, many of them are faith-based that are also doing refugee resettlement in some of the communities where World Relief is not. Um, but they all have opportunities to volunteer. And those very hands-on, again, it's often a pretty simple task of befriending someone. Um, maybe it's helping them learn English or practicing English, those sort of things. I think I found that knowing one person makes this huge global issue. It doesn't make everything make sense, but it's a way for us to engage as, as followers of Jesus. And that, I think, will inspire people to do things like, you know, I want to call my congressperson and tell them we shouldn't shut down the U.S. refugee resettlement program because I want people like my friend um, to be able to continue to come and seek refuge in the United States. Or maybe it's giving financially or, you know, one way that we've had a lot of churches who maybe don't have the time to engage on a very, you know, long-term relational level, they'll put together the stuff that a new refugee needs when they land in the country. So basically, they'll furnish the apartment. We call that a welcome kit. Some of them will just do that on Amazon. You know, they set, to set up a, a wish list, and they have people from the church buy all the items that they need. And then another way that's, I think, really important, most refugees are not in the United States and are not coming to the United States. Uh, we work with church partners at World Relief in, in the Middle East who are literally serving a 1,000 refugees a week. You know, we sometimes ask a church of a 1,000 in the United States, would you come alongside this one family? It's almost the inverse in the Middle East, where you have a church of three or four or five families serving a thousand people a week. And one, you know, we do something called Unlock Hope um, with World Relief, where we invite people in the United States to come alongside financially along churches and other ministries in the Middle East and, and elsewhere, because the refugee crisis isn't just coming out of Syria. I mean, that's about four and a half to five million of the 21 million refugees in the world, but there's a lot of other refugees from a lot of other conflicts that don't get quite as much attention, but are similarly desperate. So let's back up a little bit. I, I know the book, especially earlier on in the book, you deal with some of the more um, theoretical or, 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 or foundational aspects of even who a refugee is. So, I mean, walk me through that. Like, from a biblical perspective, who is a refugee? Sure. Well, I mean, I guess the Bible doesn't give us necessarily a, a particular definition of a refugee. It talks, the scriptures talk a lot about the foreigner in the land, and in most cases, those were people who had been pushed out by something, often by violence. Legally, in, in the U.S. internationally, a refugee is someone who's fled their country of origin because of a well-founded fear of persecution because of their race, religion, political opinion, national origin, or social group. So certainly I think the people who our government recognizes as refugees fit into that biblical definition of a, a vulnerable foreigner whom we see throughout the Old Testament and in the New Testament as well. 
um, when we're commanded in the in the New Testament to practice hospitality, uh, that's the Greek word philozenia. It literally means to practice loving strangers. So having your friends over for lunch doesn't actually get us off the hook there. That's the way we tend to use hospitality. Like, oh, thanks so much for your hospitality. You made a nice meal for, uh, you know, for your friends. But when we're called to practice hospitality biblically, it means those who are who are unknown to us, who are different than us. And that's countercultural. I mean, I grew up watching Saturday morning cartoons about stranger danger. You know, we're taught right. to be afraid of strangers. And I have little kids. I get why we teach kids that. But I think maybe as adults, maybe even as a society, we t- see people who are who are immigrants, who are refugees, and see a potential threat. When the and I don't want to say the scripture promises you they're not a threat, although it does say in Hebrews 13 that we might just be entertaining angels without realizing it when we entertain strangers. So let me ask you this. What happens if um, a particular uh, party or candidate uh, becomes the dominant or the controlling party in the United States and we shut the doors to refugees um, insofar as we can and, and all of maybe maybe the, the most extreme version of that that uh, you can imagine? Mm-hmm. What does the church here do at that at that time yeah no unfortunately that's a real question and you know we're thinking of that as you know we're making contingency plans because that's the president actually has a ton of authority under u.s law um under the refugee act passed by congress in 1980 the president basically gets to set the ceiling for how many refugees come in and if he or she says that's zero speaking hypothetically here they you know the president has that authority so we could see in next year, potentially having no refugees coming to the United States. So I think the response to the church, A, our, our ability to serve refugees who come in through a carefully vetted process goes away. Um, there will probably still be people seeking asylum in the United States, which means they come without a visa or they come on a temporary visa. Usually only the wealthy can get a temporary visa to even have that as an option in front of them. Um, but there's there may still be opportunities there, although I mean, we're obligated to that under international law, but again, a, a president who would undo the refugee program, I don't know what would happen with our international legal obligations for those seeking asylum. Um, I, I also think it's really important, even beyond the church's role, to think about this, how this plays into foreign policy. And part of the reason that the U.S. accepts refugees is humanitarian and part of our national character and our history. Another part is we need to have some leverage when we tell a country like Jordan or Lebanon that you need to keep your doors open um, because you know, Lebanon has taken more than a million Syrian refugees. Turkey has taken more than two and a half million. Jordan has taken at least 600,000, maybe significantly more, depending on whose stats you believe. Our State Department is encouraging them to continue to help let people come in, because if they're turned back and go back to be slaughtered, it takes a horrific humanitarian nightmare to a whole other level. But we lose that leverage if we're saying we won't do anything. I mean, as it is, we're doing far less than those countries in terms of the number of people that we're receiving. We took in 70,000 as a big, wealthy country. Jordan, which is a very tiny country with limited water resources, takes in, you know, 10 times that amount or more. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's foreign policy dynamics to that, too, that you know, people sometimes ask, can we afford to bring in refugees? We might want to ask, can we afford it not to? 
And again, from the church's perspective, we lose this remarkable ministry opportunity both to, to stand with the persecuted church. I think it's worth noting that of the refugees who've come in in the last 10 years, uh, more have been Christians than of any other religious background. So a lot of them are already Christians who are persecuted for their Christian faith. But then also it's a mission on our doorstep um, to welcome people and to point people to Jesus who don't yet know Jesus. And we don't do that in a coercive way. We don't practice proselytization, but we do believe in evangelism of, of being a witness to who we believe Jesus is and uh, never in a forced way. But when you're welcomed by a local church and you're a Muslim family or a Hindu family, it's very likely that at some point you're going to have the question of why are you here at the airport welcoming me? Why are you visiting me every week? And we get to point people back to Jesus. And, and we have seen many people make the decision on their own, you know, of their own free will to follow Jesus. And we think that's exciting. It's a missional opportunity in our own communities that policy could make go away. Well, one one last question for you, Matthew. What's your what's your hope for the book when you when you wrote it and pushed it out uh, with your co-authors, of course? What what was what's going to make it successful or not? Yeah, you know, our again, our passionate world belief is to empower the local church to serve the most vulnerable. And frankly, we we wrote the book because with this becoming so politically charged, mm-hmm. we we wanted to make sure the church is still there um, to welcome refugees. And a big part of that is we think of this as. You know, the United States has been described by President Reagan and others as a shining city on a hill. But our larger concern isn't the reputation of the United States. When Jesus used that expression, he wasn't talking about the United States. He was talking about his, his followers. You are the light. You are this, a shining city on a hill. Let your light shine before people so they can see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And there are literally millions of refugees in the world today who are looking at followers of Jesus all around the world, not just in the United States, and are making their opinions about who Jesus is based on how his church responds to this refugee crisis. And I've seen the church respond in heroic ways, both in the United States and actually, honestly, even more so in places like Canada or Germany or Jordan or Turkey, um, but some in the United States certainly as well. But I think the opportunity is greater than, than what's being lived out right now. And we want to see the church stand for that because whether that response is one of welcome and hospitality and love or one of scapegoating and fear, people are determining what they think of Jesus based on how his people respond right now. Listening to Machine Heart, the song is Stone Cold. Which, if you had a machine heart, I guess it would also be Stone Cold. Yeah, you got to keep the heat down, right. no friction. So David Crowder, when he was telling us about his new album, 
which you guys can just go here for yourselves. He was telling us, it's like, it's weird, man. It's going to be different. It's weird. Which coming from David Crowder, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who is probably one of the more interesting experimental uh, artists in the Christian scene. He keeps reinventing himself and, he, and this album does it again. It's, it's like every other album is the, the experimental one and then he comes back yeah. to, to being the, so I guess this is, this is the experimental one. It's the experimental one. Yeah. He takes some risks and uh, you'll see it for yourself when you listen to the album. It's awesome. With another song from the album, here is David Crowder.
That was David Crowder. Make sure to check out American Prodigal. It's out now. Don't miss Mosaic MSC's new album, Glory and Wonder, now on iTunes and Spotify. Glimpses of heaven can be seen and heard on earth. God's glory can be found in our everyday lives. His beauty is displayed through our stories and our songs. Mosaic MSC is creating a sound out of LA that blends worship and West Coast pop. The new album features songs across the universe, Never Stop, Tremble, and Glory and Wonder. Check out Glory and Wonder on iTunes and Spotify today. You're listening to Shura. The song is What's It Gonna Be? Which is kind of a good segue to the feedback segment. What's it gonna be? What's the feedback? Uh, Last week, we asked you uh, for the question of the week, what can you get from a hotel for free without lying or breaking a posted rule? Uh, We just wondered how far y'all would go. Um, You know, it was a complicated question because it it, it required not only for you to come up with an idea, but to go and do it and then tell us about it. So we were wondering if anybody would actually follow through. And here's the results of that question. Uh, Here are some of our favorite replies. I got to start with Chad Fenley, who actually didn't do it, but tweeted at all of us and said, my father-in-law stopped at a Holiday Inn every day for 15 years for a free cup of coffee and a newspaper. (gasps) That is awesome. That is fevery. I, I didn't start to do the math, but I'm like, price of inflation, a million dollars. million dollars. He could have bought a ham dog patent for that. And who has time to stop at the Holiday Inn every morning? Maybe it's, he, what, maybe it's next by door. By my calculations, he could own 10% of the hand dog patent. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, if he's interested, I'm looking to sell my share because... <laughs> Look, you got to call a spade a spade. That was a bad investment. I'm, I'm hemorrhaging money on, on hand dog. Yeah. <laughs> hot burger absolutely destroyed it. Yeah. Hot burger. Yeah. It just took off. Yeah. I feel like that was either, there were either really absent minded employees at the Holiday Inn or they had a high turnover of people at the front desk to not notice the same man coming in for 15 years. Right. It's just every week there's somebody new. So they just figure, oh, well, I just didn't see him yesterday. Or at some point, like three years in, they just resign themselves so that this guy comes in every day. You know, it's just like, oh, here, here he comes freeloading. Um, let's see. Uh, someone's aunt, Joss Morg. That's an interesting screen name. So that they live in, in Las Vegas and they actually took us up on the challenge. They went to the South Point Casino and stood there uh, and, and tried to build up the courage to go ask the front desk for some stuff, but never could because the manager just stood there and eyed them the whole time. 
So he, he was dropping someone off at the hotel, and he decided to make the commitment. He walked into a Hilton, walked right past the front desk guy, greeted him. So he said hello to the front desk guy, and then proceeded to the snack table only a few feet from the desk. I drank as much fresh lemonade as I could, then grabbed three packs of Earl Grey tea and walked right past the guy. He said he did have a confused and concerned look on his face, but he was able to bring his wife some tea for the next three days. So <laughs> that was a consequence-free uh, a freebie right there. Daniel said earlier this year, I hosted a Super Bowl party in a hotel lounge. To be fair, I did have a room in the hotel. No, then that's fine. But was oh. 2000 miles from home. But all the folks that I brought over did not have a room there, which I'm still like, we're getting towards stealing yeah. until he said, we enjoyed the provided refreshments from the lobby breakfast area, including free wine. So all of his buddies came over to the hotel and drank the, you know, <laughs> Hamptonality cookies and wine in the, which okay. I thought, yep, that I'm like, the line. I was like, not stealing, not stealing stealing well done <laughs> uh, john said that in college he and some roommates would go to the hotel across town to sit in the lobby to watch march madness games and the mlb playoffs uh they said there he said there was a bunch of other hotels on the way but this one served free snacks and we might have used their pool <laughs> did you see that austin wrote i was inspired i took a drone through a starbucks drive through after hearing your podcast a local news station picked it up about <gasps> the coffee and now i'm shooting a chipotle burrito pickup with Channel 4 News in the Detroit area next week. And wow. then uh, there was wow. a link to the video. I'm not quite sure how we inspired that. We do talk well, about drones yeah, a lot. Yeah, we're talking about food drone delivery quite a bit. Well, Austin, congratulations. I'm clicking yeah. on So he just sat in the parking lot and sent the drone through the well, through the drive through I wish I had clicked on the... It's pretty yeah, amazing. He, he has, he's got a little cup holder attached to his drone. Tell you, my Michigan people. Flying the drone... He calls Starbucks. I'm like doing this in fast forward. Yeah, that's exactly what he did. He pulled the drone up to the front of Starbucks. Look at that. And the Starbucks employee walked out, put the coffee in the drone, <laughs> and the drone. But he called in the order. So he paid for and it. Whoa, 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 whoa. He called it in. So he never right. appeared. No, he called in the order. And, and no, he it called goes. it in and said a drone is coming in and it landed in the park or like flew right over the like the front door in the parking lot. Dude. And the lady brought out. And, but what I love is that he calls it a drone through instead of drive through. Yeah, that is funny. So he <laughs> drove it up. So the drone is just hovering there and this young woman walks out and puts. Do you remember the episode of The Simpsons where Homer Simpson decided to get like lazy at the house and he gained like 400 pounds and yeah. he wore a muumuu? Oh, yeah. And and he couldn't like leave the yeah. couch. And so he uh, invented a stick to like poke at the phone and like, you know, he'd never moved. Yeah, that is where we're yeah. going with drones. Now I don't have to get off the couch. I'm just going to fly <laughs> the drone down to Payway to pick up dinner and bring it back. Look, it's coming down to Austin. I, well, you're acting like this is a bad thing. You know what I would love, though, if Austin I took his first sip of it today, and he's like, actually, I got a dirty chai oh, and not a grande americano. And he has to send it back. Oh, yeah, he has to like send it back. Just, yeah, he, he took a sip. He goes, this chai just is not dirty enough. It just zipped it on away. <laughs> Austin Kuhn, <laughs> congratulations. That's amazing. Yeah, the future is now, Austin. Good job. Uh, okay, that'll do it for last week's feedback. Uh, it's time for this week's editorial question of the week. Hey. Okay, well, we had two instances on this week's show of one of our own, so to speak, like the story of something they did going viral or getting picked up. Right. So earlier on the show, Jesse made it onto Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. That's crazy. Right. He is now officially part right. of American folklore. Right. And <laughs> even more impressively, Austin. 
Yeah, and then Austin Kuhn, our like, listener, Austin yeah, Kuhn, got yeah. inspired by the food drone uh, delivery situation and did it, and it got picked up, and now he, yeah. So we want to know your s- stories of anytime something you've done has gotten picked up in the media or went yeah. viral or something you did that, you know, kind of yeah, you got called quote. the radio station. Yeah. yeah you <laughs> got, won tickets to the, yeah, got quoted somewhere. To the Christopher Cross, Michael McDonald tour. <laughs> oh man. Those, you could barely win tickets to them. Were, no, yeah. yeah a, a, expose, expose the third tooth on a famous <laughs> woman. Boy, so, yeah. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Did you make a meme that went viral? Like, we want to know something you've done that has gone viral or gotten picked up in the media. I'm not saying one of those is better, but I'm just saying, did you do that? Because someone did it on a national podcast this week, but yeah, we got the gist. <laughs> so uh, hit us up on the podcast episode page at relevantmagazine.com uh, or hit us up on Twitter at Relevant Podcast and let us know. I can't wait to read these. Are be- yeah, we have a great list Listenership. I mean, they're out there like inventing drone pickup for Starbucks. I mean, we, yeah, so yeah. I know they've done stuff. This is going to be great. We're going to have some weird ones too. Yeah. Many thanks to our show sponsors, uh, Israel. Remember to go to land-of-the-bible.com and discover the site of Israel you've never seen. And also thanks to Blue Apron. Make sure to check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash relevant. When you guys do that and go to those specific URLs, it really helps out the show. Um, also, thanks to our guests for coming through. Uh, David Crowder's new album, American Prodigal, drops today. Go get it. It's really good. Uh, and you can follow him on Twitter at Crowder Music. Also, thanks to Matthew Sorens. Uh, his book is called Seeking Refuge on the Shores of the Global Refugee Crisis. And you can follow him on Twitter at Matthew Sorens. Hey, when you're over on iTunes and you're uh, downloading the show, why don't you drop a review? We like hearing the feedback, and it actually helps the show's presence on iTunes when yes. you uh, when you review it. I saw go. some of the reviews; uh, they are very complimentary of Calvin. So let's <laughs> let's get back let's to update it. those. Let's get back to it. So, so, uh, trust me, you don't know what five stars is until you've experienced. And while you're online doing stuff, head over to relevantmagazine.com. You can subscribe now for the magazine to the magazine. Uh, we're doing a six dollar sale, and uh, you can get six months of the magazine for only six bucks. And uh, I think you'll like it. On that note, we'll wrap it up. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Eddie Koffeltz. I'm Chandler Strang. I'm Drew Agrish-Reed. I'm Jesse Carey. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Relevant Podcast. Connect with us on Twitter, at Relevant Podcast, and get bonus material from this episode and more at the podcast section on relevantmagazine.com. And don't forget to check the magazine out. It's available on newsstands and at the iTunes App Store, or you can subscribe online at relevantmagazine.com slash subscribe.
Billboard reports that Nick Jonas, comma, who has three front teeth, comma, has the number one album in the country. 